Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, something I have to say before we get started is that we have a, a new uh, setup. A, a new uh, a setup, uh, it allows flexibility um, for future things, uh, other platforms. Now, something else I have to say too is if you're listening on a platform where it's this might be like the very first message that you hear that's available even, uh, but if you're listening on such a platform and you hear us reference prior studies, uh, just go to the church website, go to the church website and just let us know like, hey, can I have this message? Can you have this message that was referenced? And we'll make that available to you. Uh, you know, in these last days as the Antichrist spirit is going through every nook and cranny of the globe, uh, we want to be there too. We want to be there too. Fishing, fishing for souls, men, women, young, old. Uh, prophetically speaking, there's some interesting developments that are happening across the globe. The, uh, uh, the Pope, uh, the Pope has, uh, wants a new era of peace. He's, uh, a, quote, a new era of peace that he wants to initiate. Uh, very interesting, uh, what's happening with the G20, kind of like a, uh, a net that's being cast across the globe when you see economically uh, pushes to vaccinate the world. And, you know, it's it's very interesting how you see these things, what's happening in the Middle East. Uh, Israel has new president, new prime minister, uh, new uh, leadership in Iran. And there's this push for peace, push for peace. Now, I'm not opposed to peace at all. But peace can only come by the Prince of Peace and through the Prince of Peace. Uh, outside of that, what the Bible refers to as this peace of the last days, it's fake. It's phony. It's a false peace. And it's one of the signs of the last days. And, you know, it's just, you know, you hear us mention from time to time these last days scenario uh, scenarios. And I personally believe that we are a last days generation, the generation that will see the events of the last days as prophesied in Holy Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Now, if you're listening for the first time, we do study the uh, uh, New Testament on Sundays and then the Old Testament we study on Wednesdays. Most of the time, 98.9% of the times and 99.2% of the time. That's that's the model that we follow. Uh, there are cases where uh, very few where we might be in the New Testament on a Wednesday or the Old Testament on a Sunday, uh, but we do uh, uh, cross references. So I mean, a lot of times we're we're in the New Testament on a Sunday, but then we reference Old Testament passages too. And then also uh, something I also have to say is that if the if the messages are longer than you have available to listen, just hit pause or reference where you leave off and then listen the next day. We might start having uh, uh, Thursday, Friday messages too, uh, just to, uh, maybe even uh, prophecy updates just to kind of give little indicators uh, where we are in, in terms of the uh, uh, biblical roadmap too. So, uh, th that might be something that we start to, uh, um, uh, implement. Uh, but we study the word of God. Everything's, everything is from the word of God, Genesis to Revelation. So in continuation of our study through second Corinthians, uh, open up your Bible to second Corinthians chapter eight. Oh, I forgot to mention too. You got to have your Bible open. Have your Bible open. Now, a lot of times if you, if you read from like an app, you know, or the, a, a Bible online or some, some type of online version, 
uh, what we're starting to notice with those is that they're making edits. There are uh, edits being made to those. So if you have a Bible, uh, a paper one is nice. But if you have an online format, uh, uh, you know, I, I read from the uh, the New King James Version. Uh, I'm not a King James only person, but I read from the New King James Version something that matches prior to the Alexandrian text. Because post-Alexandrian, you get into the ESV, the NIV, and then you get even further into more modern translations you know, the NIV, um, uh, New Living Translation, the Message, which I don't even consider a Bible. Uh, but you get into these more modern virgin, versions which deviate from the original text. Not the original text of the King James, the original text of uh, the, the Hebrew uh, Aramaic and Greek. And so we want to be as close as possible to the original manuscripts. And so, you know, there's times when you, we, we reference, uh, even edits to the New King James versions, uh, to closely match, to more closely match, uh, the Hebrew, uh, more closely match the Greek or even Aramaic, uh, and, and Septuagint references too. So there, there's, uh, we, we study out of the New King James version just for reference. I mean, if you're in the market for a Bible, that's, that's, that's what we read from the New King James. Uh, I'm not a fan of Alexandrian post Alexandrian and post Alexandrian, such as ESV and closer to the future. I'm not a fan of those. Uh, um, I can make a case, but you know, if uh, that you'll, you'll hear us mention that from time to time, but I just I, Alexandrian and post Alexandrian, I don't like. Uh, just because the deviation away from the original manuscripts, a lot of a lot of Christians they they love the ESV uh, and the ESV. It's too modern for me. It's too modern for my appetite. Now, it's not to say that it's 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 a bad thing because when I started reading the Bible, you know, twenty twenty five years ago, I started with the comic book, you know, and so a comic book Bible, you know, and then I went from comic book Bible to uh, New Living and then uh, NIV. Uh, uh, ESV. I kind of did like, you know, the, from, from like the backwards from the Alexandrian all to the, uh, 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 the original manuscripts. Now when I read the Bible, you know, it, it's, uh, it's mostly New King James. This is for my own personal studies, mostly New King James. Uh, and then always referencing Hebrew and, uh, um, uh, uh, uh the original manuscripts. Always mentioning that. I mean, when you read a Greek Bible, or uh, 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 Septuagint versions, or, or, or uh, versions that um, steer closely to the Septuagint, or referencing the Septuagint, or uh, the Hebrew text, it's it's a whole new ballgame. Uh, and so that's that's how I do my own personal studies. But in teaching, it's New King James. So just just a little reference point. If you're ESV, you know it's not that you know that's uh, I just I just don't like the deviations that the ESV has. Um, and so, um, if you're listening for the first time, I want you to have that understanding. So, cause we, we study the Bible verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. And here we are in second Corinthians chapter eight, second Corinthians chapter eight. Um, we start out here in verse one and Paul says, moreover, brethren. Now keep in mind, this is a continuation. I mean, moreover, brethren, that's a continuation of what we've studied, what we studied last week and even the previous week. I mean, the previous week it started therefore. Uh, so, you know, it's always like precursory studies, precursory understandings or understandings that are prerequisite to move on in this. Remember the church in Corinth, second Corinthians, it's the remnant. The remnant and those who were identified as leaven, 
who were uh, uh, separated from and they repented and now they're brought back into the fellowship. So it's a, it's a remnant, like the end of uh, 1 Corinthians, that's the remnant. But then this early part of 2 Corinthians, it's still the remnant, but it's a little bit bigger because people have repented and been brought back into the fellowship. So it's very important to understand that order of growth in the fellowship of Corinth. It's very, very important. Because you see the reason, the, the reason for the remnant, the reason for the remnant is because of carnality in the fellowship, carnality in the church. And because of the carnality in the church that wasn't addressed, it wasn't carnality for a day, carnality for a week. It was week upon week, upon month, upon month, year upon year, arrested development. In Acts 18 was the birth of the church, but then in three years later, Paul writes 1 Corinthians, the, the, the entire letter, 1 Corinthians, and they were still babies. They were still babies, no growth. And there was growth, but in Chloe's household and few households and home fellowships, but for Corinth at large, there was no growth. And it came at a heavy price because there was division that was required, a separation that was required, where Paul says, okay, if this guy's going to do his sex, if this guy's going to do his drugs, if this guy's going to do his alcohol, if this guy's going to be a reviler, and extortioner, separate from such a person, guys and gals, separate from such people. Um, not in the world. Paul says, if if I met in the world, you'd have to get in a, in a rocket ship and live on Mars. You know, he says, not of this world. He says, I didn't mean those of the world. He says, I meant those in the church. Anybody named a brother, you see, inside the church. And because this leaven was unaddressed, that's when you have it's infecting, it's affecting and infecting the bunch, the whole. Remember, Paul says your rejoicing isn't good. And so what happens is that there's this separation and you have this remnant now in chapter in, in 2 Corinthians. And in this remnant now, Paul says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on, bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And so what's going to happen now is Paul's going to use other churches, other saints in another region as an example for the uh, uh, Corinthian church. And it's so beautiful because what happened in Corinth didn't happen in other regions. So like the, you know, Corinth wasn't Berea and Corinth wasn't Thessalonica and Corinth wasn't, you know, other regions of Macedonia. They had a little problem with, you know, pastors and elders that wanted to be their friends, pastors and elders that didn't want to correct another brother, correct another sister. And if they were in the pastor and elder capacity, they had a God-given responsibility to do exactly that, to correct. Remember, correction is biblical. But correction can only be done by the crucified. Correction can only be done by the crucified. Otherwise, it's hypocrisy and such a person sows judgment unto themselves. Listen to the study through Romans 2. It's very important. If you're in a, if you correct another brother, if you correct another sister, you cannot be carnal and you cannot be a hypocrite. Otherwise, you sow seeds of judgment unto yourself. You cannot. Only the crucified can correct. You see, it's very important to understand that. And, you know, that's that statement alone is buttressed by prior studies. So I say that, you know, but you have this understanding of these prior studies to have a deeper understanding of that. The, the defunct pastors in Corinth, ill-equipped. They cannot do it. And so Chloe, those in the household of Chloe, they notify Paul, the male headship over the, the church, 
And Paul writes his letter to 1 Corinthians. And he even says, your rejoicing isn't good. You guys come to fellowship, you you know, uh, sing to the Lord and speak Christianese. He says, that's not good. He says, take this guy and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And all these other people, separate from them. Now, it's not a pretty picture from those who were separated. It's not a pretty picture for the, the guy who was committed to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But it's beautiful for the remnant. Beautiful for the remnant. You see, separation, just like we studied last week. And so now in this state of separation, so the birth of the church in Acts 18, three years later, 1 Corinthians was written, and then another three years, 2 Corinthians is written. So we have a total of six years. We're, we're, we're in total, we're six years in from the birth of the church. And now that the church is six years old, so to speak, um, this remnant that remains, now Paul is going to take this remnant that's six years in, and he's going to use the example of another fellowship and other fellowships in Macedonia. He's going to use them as an example to help the Corinthian saints. The Macedonian saints are going to be used as an example to help the Corinthian saints, the remnant of Corinth. And he says here in verse 1, We make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, a Macedonian example, that in a great trial of affliction, that in a great, how it translates is a uh, proofing, a proofing of affliction. Where affliction here is thalipsis in the Greek. It is uh, uh, persecution and tribulation. The last day's generation, the last day's church, there, there will be... Uh, Ample room for trial and affliction. Philipsis. And this, these Macedonian saints in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. And how that translates, it's not just the abundance of their joy. It translates as the super abundance of their joy. And this is something that's very important because a lot of times what happens in, in the church and among Christians is that we forget about the joy of the Lord. Where we forget about the joy of the Lord. And if we forget about certain aspects, and not just forget, but there's certain, remember, we're gonna, we haven't really touched on it hardcore, but we're gonna get there. But we're, and we're gonna study that in Deuteronomy in our Wednesday studies. But you're gonna see the blessings of obedience and the, the curses of disobedience. And we're gonna weigh these things. And you know, in, in the Old Testament, when Israel loses its battles, it's always a result of disobedience unto the Lord. Always. Disobedience unto the Lord results in, and you can fill in the blank, loss of battles. You know, uh, uh, you're going to see moments of sadness, moments of sorrow, moments of lamentation. And it's always a result of disobedience unto the Lord. Now, among the godly, there are cases of lamentation, but it's on behalf of another, such as, I mean, the book of Lamentations is Jeremiah, who's lamenting over Judah and Israel because of their disobedience. So, you know, you, you see all the, the cause and effect in the Old Testament. That's always, but you always also see it in the New Testament as new covenant believers, which it's the exact same thing today. So, you know, if you have, uh, uh, you, 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 you read this. And it's like, okay, like in verse two, the abundance of their joy. And if you read that and you're like, wow, where's the abundance of my joy? You really be honest with yourself. You have to take inventory of your heart. What is the reason for that? Because 
I was a Christian when I had some major depression, major depression, the kind of depression where you want to kill yourself. And I had multiple failed suicides, praise be to the Lord. But, you know, and this was like 25 years. It wasn't like, you know, a week ago. It was 25 years ago. And so when I would read passages like this about the joy of the Lord, I'd be like, wow, you know, how come that, how come I don't have that? How come I don't have that? But one hunt, I tell you the truth, 100% of those times, it was a result of my, my disobedience unto him. My disobedience unto him. And when I started to obey him, and when I started to apply his word in my life, then it was almost like, you know, like the little knob was turned, the joy started to increase, the joy started to increase, you know, more and more and more. So keep that in mind as you as you grow and mature in Christ. Now, if you're listening and you're not even a Christian, don't be unbelieving, but be believing. You know, God loves you. God loves you. I mean, I've talked to atheists before and they're like, man, I don't know what's happening in the world, but the world is crazy. Praise be to the Lord. It's a, Remember the Lord says, I tell you these things before they happen so that when they happen, you might believe. And so now, you know, all these Bible prophecies that people were talking about, you know, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. Now, all of a sudden, it's like you're starting to see certain things come to pass. The Euphrates River. When has the Euphrates River ever been dry? And now for such a time as this, it's starting to dry. I meant like straight up like you, you can walk across portions of the Euphrates River. And the Bible says in the last days, the kings of the east will walk across the, will go across the Euphrates River, walk across like on, on dry ground. And for such a time as this, these things are happening. And I've talked to atheists before, even Satanists. And they're just like, man, I don't know what's happening, but this is crazy. And it's like, aha, aha. You know, and it's like little little doors are being opened in hearts. And who are the planters? Who are the ones who will drop seeds in there? You see? If you're not a believer, don't be unbelieving anymore. God loves you. And it's your sin that separates you from him. It's your sin. And that's what Satan wants. He likes you to have the sin. He likes you to have all these trespasses and the sin, the works of the carnal nature, works of the flesh. He wants that because he knows that that is what separates you from him. And you believe in Jesus Christ. And what happens, there's like a transfer, you know, like like bank accounts. If, if someone's going to transfer money to your account, that's what happens. Except there's there becomes a deficit of sin in your life because there's a transfer of your sin. And God, our Father, your Father in heaven who loves you transfers your sin and places it on his son, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And he died. See, the wages of sin is death. That was paid by Jesus Christ. But you have to believe. By faith, you have to believe. You see? And then once, it's not just, you know, you, you have to believe and boom, that's it. No, you, we believe, but then at the same time, we grow and we mature in Christ because it's very, very dangerous to be a baby very very dangerous to be a baby as exemplified in the church of corinth it's very dangerous to be a baby you see i meant you know you heard me reference this before but you know i watch the nature shows and you see the lions you know the lions are like gonna attack the gazelle and the and the gazelle they're like you know just feeding you just having a good old day you know drinking water whatever and then the lions pounce and they run and they charge and it's always the adults that get away you know who gets caught? You know who gets eaten, torn apart and eaten? 
the babies. That's what happens. The babies, the young ones. Same thing. The Bible says that Satan roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. Not for waiting for whom he may become friends with. Waiting for whom he may go out and party with. No, waiting for whom he may devour. He wants to kill. That's what he wants to do to you. Now, hell wasn't designed for people. Hell is where Satan is, 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 he was, he's cast down or he's cast from heaven into the earth. Because remember, he's a fallen angel, Lucifer. And so he was cast out of uh, 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 heaven and he's, you know, in the world, you know, waiting for whom he may devour. But he knows that he will be cast to hell. He knows that. And he wants to take you with him. He wants to take you with him. He wants to take all of God's creation with him. You see, where are the fighters? Where are the warriors? Who, number one, won't let that happen. But then number two, will go on straight up rescue missions. You see, rescue missions. And so what's happening here? Now, if you're not a believer, hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you do just that. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. You don't be unbelieving anymore. You become believing. And then you're a Christian. You're born again. And then you come back and you listen to this message. You see, and then we grow and we mature in Christ together. Okay, if you're a Christian and you're playing games with the Lord, you're carnal, you know, don't do that anymore. I was lukewarm and it's not good. Don't do that anymore. That's about 25 years ago. Don't do that. Don't be lukewarm anymore. Be hot, not just red hot, white hot, on fire for the Lord. And so let's continue in our study here in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 2, you see the abundance of their joy, this church in Macedonia, the the saints in Macedonia, and their deep poverty. Now, it's very important to have this understanding of the word kai, K-A-I in the Greek, because there's inclusivity with the word kai. And that's what's written here when he says the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. It's kai, the abundance of their joy Kai, their deep poverty. It's very, very important to understand that there's inclusivity with the word Kai. And if I were to say, excuse me, if I were to say, I want and if I were to write a letter to you and I say, I want uh, an apple, comma, an orange, comma, uh, banana, period, you know, you might bring, I mean, you know, I'm just, just, this is for example, you might give me an apple and think everything's fine and dandy. But if that comma was exemplified by the word Kai, you would be in the wrong. Because if I said, I want an apple, Kai, an orange, Kai, banana, period, that means I want all three. You see, there's inclusivity with the word Kai. It's not like in English, it's like, you know, and it doesn't really get into the inclusivity part. It can, but it has to be, you have to look at, you know, the uh, um, uh, uh, pre and post participles. And, you know, I don't want to get into grammar or anything like that. But, you know, you have to look at the connotation, the context of, of, of it's just for, so we can have this understanding of the word Kai, K-A-I in the Greek. And that's very important in itself because... You know, a lot of times people are making these excuses that it's okay to take the mark of the beast, that you can take the mark of the beast as long as you don't worship the Antichrist, but they don't have an understanding of the word kind. Even Bible teachers, Bible teachers today, 
so-called Bible teachers, they're starting to say that it's okay to take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. That is an unbiblical concept. Never, ever, ever, no matter what, never take the mark of the beast. But because these so-called teachers have no understanding of the word Kai, you know, it's, you know, it, 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 who takes them, like the Bible says, you know, whoever takes the mark of the beast, Kai worships the image. It's, there's inclusivity there. It's to say by taking the mark of the beast, you are worshiping the beast. You see, it's, there's inclusivity. There's no separation there. They're reading the, they're reading the Bible like, like English, modern day English. But no, you have to look at the original manuscripts and understand meanings of words, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. That's why it's important. That's why I like original manuscripts. You see, I like original manuscripts. They're reading from more modern translations, ESV, NIV. You know, they're reading for more modern translations, Alexandrian text. I don't like Alexandrian and beyond. Alexandrian and when I say beyond, I mean into the future. Me personally, I just don't, I, I don't like, I liked, I liked them when I was a baby. You know, when I was a young in Christ, I liked them when I was a baby, but I don't like them now. You know, and so it's very important to understand this word Kai because there are some major, major, major implications behind not having that understanding. So if I were to say, I want an apple, orange, banana, and you bring me an orange, you say you bring me a banana, then you would be in the wrong because I, 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 I said Kai, you know, like if I said, I want uh, apple, Kai, orange, Kai, banana, and you bring me a banana. You would be wrong because what I'm saying with understanding the word Kai is I want all three. I want an apple, an orange, and a banana. I want all three. You see, that's inclusivity with the word Kai. And I say that because what's written here in verse 2 is the abundance or the superabundance of their joy, the saints in Macedonia. But he says, Kai, their deep poverty and their deep poverty, which with this inclusivity, it's while in a state of deep poverty, they were very, very, very poor saints. And in their state of poverty, they had a super abundance of joy. You see? And not just in their state of deep poverty. Deep poverty, yes, very poor. But then also trials of afflictions, of persecutions and tribulation. You see? And even still, they had an abundance of joy. And in that joy, they abounded, written here in verse 2 at the end, they abounded or increased in the riches of their liberality, you see, or the riches of their generosity, you see. Wow. Here's a church in Macedonia. Here's a church. They're poor. They're under persecution. They're under tribulation. Great trials. And you think like, wow, that's terrible. But no, it's just the opposite. Look, they're, they're on fire for the Lord. They're white hot for the Lord. In the face of deep poverty, in the face of trials of affliction, in the face of all these things, which from a worldly standpoint, from carnally speaking, carnally looking with carnal eyes and worldly eyes would be like, man, that's, that's terrible to be in Macedonia. But no, with spiritual eyes, Eyes to see and ears to hear. That's beautiful. And now these, these Macedonians, they're an example to the remnant of Corinth. Do you remember our study in Numbers 31 and 32? Or in Numbers 31, the defunct stay home. The defunct stay in their tents. And 
It's the 12,001. They're the fighters. They're the warriors. They go to fight. And it's like, wow, praise be to the Lord. These guys were, these were, this was the remnant of the camp of Israel and they're the fighters. They're the warriors. And wow, praise be to the Lord. But then we get into the next chapter. The following week, we looked at the next chapter and it say, hey, you, you're in your tent. You're defunct. You're in your tent. Get out of your tent. Don't be defunct anymore. It's not just to say that, you know, that the, the warriors can go off to the war and, you know, everybody else can just chill in their tent. No, it's, it's the other way around. It's to say, hey, get out of your tent. Don't be defunct anymore. I mean, you're in your tent in a reason, but now, now that you have the, this example of the 12,001, now get out of your tent and you be fighters like them. Instead of they be lazy like you, they don't be warriors and they go in their tent. Instead of that happening, no, it's the other way around. You be warriors like them. You see, an example of the 12,001 unto the 600,000. You see, a remnant is a model for the masses. And that's what we see here. A New Testament example of that very same thing. The Macedonians, in their poverty, in their trials of affliction, they're the example for Corinth, you see? And the remnant of Corinth, not Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, not Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 or the beginning of chapter 5, when they would go to church, sing, you know, praise the Lord and speak Christianese. But meanwhile, a guy's having sex with his dad's wife. Meanwhile, you have the, the sex heads and the drunkards, the extortioners, and they're inside the church. And the Macedonian example isn't for that bunch. No, the leaven has to be dealt with. The leaven has to be carved out, so to speak. And now that you have this remnant, now you have this lesson for uh, uh, the, these Macedonians are the example for the remnant. You see, it's very important to understand this, this order, because what happens, a lot of fellowships get this order wrong. They say, okay, you're a baby Christian. And now you have to do this. Now you have to do this now, or they want to go into ministry. Oh, you're a baby Christian. Now you have to, you can, you can join in this ministry, in this capacity and serve in this capacity in this ministry. But first, what needs to happen first is the Lord needs to do a work inside of a person first. Male, female, young, old, I don't care. But the Lord must do the work first inside of us, inside of you, inside of me. And when we reckon the old man dead, we reckon the old woman dead, we become new wineskin. And it's only new wineskin that can hold new wine. Only. That's the formula. There's That's the only. Only new wine can be held in new wineskin. New wine can pour into old wineskin, but then something happens in the course of time. Holes start to, start to form in old wineskin, and the new wine pours in, and it pours right out. You see? It's very important to understand that, because a lot of Christians don't. And a lot of Christians have problems. They have, you know, uh, 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 they, they present stumbling blocks unto themselves, self-inflicted. But when we have this understanding of reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead, and carrying our cross, understanding the difference of the generation of Adam and the generation of Christ within oneself, it helps us. It helps us. Because then we can be crucified with Christ. You know, sometimes you see, like, you know, uh, Christians, they say, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. And it's like, wait a second, I don't see crucifixion. Because I, you know, we were friends before we were Christians. 
And before we were Christians, we used to get drunk. We used to do this. We used to go to strip clubs. We used to gamble. We used to do all these things. And look, we're Christians and I don't do that anymore, but you do. I don't see crucifixion, you see? And there's a disconnect because it's like, wait a second, this is inside the fellowship and that needs to be addressed. It's not to say like, okay, you're going to burn in hell, so get out of here. No, that needs to be addressed. And only the crucified can correct. And so if only the crucified can correct, why isn't that happening? Why isn't that happening? There's not a lot of crucified people, you see? There's not a lot of crucified people. Even among pastors, among elders, there's not a lot of crucifixion. And as evidence in what we see in churches today, the last day's church. Remember, the last day's church, there's four categories of the last day's church. It's either false, it is apostate, it is entering apostasy, or it is true. That's the condition of the last day's church. And remember what Brother Peter says, in spite of the Spirit, judgment comes first in the house of God. You see? Judgment comes first in the house of God. It is prophesied. But look at this church in Macedonia. How beautiful. I'm so in love with all these saints in Macedonia because now they're the example for Corinth. And they were very generous. Very genuine. And it's genuine, genuine generosity. It's not pretentious. It's not hypocritical. It's genuine. Very genuine. They care. The riches of their liberality. Verse 3, for I bear witness. Now this is Paul. He's seen it with his own eyes. He's heard it with his own ears. He bears witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Now, in the last days, there will be mockers. It is prophesied. And a lot of mockers today, they say, you see, Jesus Christ was a socialist. He was a socialist, you see. He says here, uh, according, to their, uh, uh, according to their ability, and yes, beyond their ability. You see, that's Marxism. But no, keep reading. They were freely willing. Freely willing. It was not mandated. It was voluntary. Freely willing. A lot of, you know, mockers and the Antichrist spirit, they say, you know, Jesus Christ was a socialist. No. Remember, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, you don't work, you don't eat. You don't want to work? Okay. You're going to starve. That's what the Bible says. That's what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica. You don't work, you don't eat. Point blank. No socialism in the Bible. You see? Now, it's not to say that the Bible is all capitalism. No. It, God's economy is not of this world. You, these reference points that we use, it's in accordance to this world, but God's economy, it, they're, they're, it's, not, it's not of this world. Look at, the, look at the saints in Macedonia. They're poor. And not just poor, very poor. They're deep poverty. And remember, Corinth was, you know, a, a hub, a financial hub of the province of the, the, the Rome, the, the, the empire of Rome. Uh, 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 Corinth was one of the hubs, hustle bustle society. It would be like saying, say, for example, we're a fellowship in Manhattan Island, Manhattan, New York. And say, for example, we all, we all live in, we, we, we have a fellowship in, in Soho, you know, very expensive area. We all live in, you know, the uh, uptown, midtown, you know, the heights, you know, and it's very expensive to live there. It would be like Paul saying, hey, you know, now that you're the remnant of Manhattan, the remnant of uh, midtown, the remnant of uh, uh, Soho, 
the saints, the Christians in Haiti, they're your example. Look at the example of the Christians in Haiti. And I'm talking about impoverished in Haiti, where their houses are like, you know, pieces of wood leaning against each other. And the rich guy has a piece of tin on the roof, you know. And Paul says, they're your example. You see, deep poverty. I think this is so, this is God's economy. is to, It's not, not of this world. Not of this world. No socialism in the Bible. You see, no capitalism either. I mean, you look at extreme socialism, you look at extreme capitalism, that's, it's, it's not a pretty picture. You take God out of any equation and it doesn't work. You take God out of, you know, business, it doesn't work. You take God out of a nation, it doesn't work. You take God out of a marriage, it doesn't work. You take God out of a heart, it doesn't work. That's not the equation, you see? God needs to be preeminent, not prominent, preeminent, meaning everything else, throw it in the trash. Jesus Christ, hold on to him. Abide in him and he in you. Those are his words. I abide in me and I in you. And so Paul says that according to their ability in verse three, yes, beyond their ability. And remember, they were impoverished, deep poverty. It's, and and it, 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 it's not mandated. It's not Paul saying, okay, you know, I'm going to go to Macedonia and say, everybody give $20. Everybody give $100. No, they were free. It was the Macedonians saying, you know, I'm going to give, here's what I can give, but I'm going to give even beyond that, even more. It's going to hurt when I give. They were freely willing. You see? Yes, they were poor, but oh my goodness, they were so rich. So rich. Look at Revelation chapter 2. Now, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there's uh, uh, admonitions to the seven churches. And to all the churches, the Lord Jesus Christ says you have to repent. To all the churches, the Lord Jesus Christ, the red letter says you have to repent except for two. One of them is Philadelphia. That's in Revelation 3, verse 7. The other one is in Smyrna, which is Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, read what it says in red letters. You know, I read from a Bible that has red letters for the words of our Lord. And he says, and to the angel, this is this from Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these things says the first and the last. That's Jesus Christ, the first and the last, the beginning and the end who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. You see, you are rich. It's a totally different economy. You know, when Jesus Christ teaches us about Lazarus and the rich man, you know, in this world, look at the rich people, the fat cats of today. We all hear in the news about, you know, Jeff Bezos. We all hear about the Zuckerberg and, you know, uh, Elon Musk and Warren Buffett. And, you know, all these all these people we know, you know, the space race. Everybody's talking about, oh, this guy's this billionaire is going into space. And we all know. But who knows the name of the guy who's sleeping on the street? Who knows the name of the lady that's sleeping in the park, you know, away from uh, the, the, the bulk of the homeless camp because it's dangerous. And who knows the name of the lady who's sleeping in the park away from everybody because it's too dangerous if he, she joins everybody else. You see? And when the Lord teaches us about Lazarus and the rich man, I have a question for you. 
What's the rich guy's name? What's the rich guy's name? You see? Who knows? But we know the name of Lazarus. The guy who was a beggar. I wonder... I wonder in Lazarus's day, who knew Lazarus? They, I'm, I'm 100% certain, 99.9% certain that everybody knew the rich guy's name. You see? Everybody knew the rich guy's name. They got to go party with him. He was probably, you know, an influencer, you know, always on the, you know, whatever was social in those days, an influencer. Everybody knew his name. But who knew this guy's name on the side of the street? Jesus did. His name was Lazarus. And he uses Lazarus for us as an example. You see? Different economy. Different, completely different economy. The Lord's way. And so we see here this church in Macedonia in chapter 8, verse 3 of 2 Corinthians. That yes, they were freely willing. In verse 4, imploring us with much urgency or begging us with much urgency, with, with much pleading. And I love that so much. Imagine Paul walking through Macedonia. I'll give you my, my Haiti example. Imagine Paul walking through Haiti and the saints in Haiti saying, Paul, take this, take this money. And imagine Paul saying, no, 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 you need that for food. You need that for your groceries. You need that, you know, that's for you. And they start to beg Paul, no, Paul, take this. Take this. Yeah, we're going to be hard up for cash flow. And yes, we need groceries. But we know that the Lord will provide. You see that kind of faith? That's the kind of faith I'm talking about. That's the kind of faith that the Lord teaches us, teaches, teaches us about. A faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, knowing the Lord is going to provide, the Lord is going to take care of us. And the Haitian saints in their little cardboard houses, the Haitian saints with the little tin roofs. And if they're, if they're rich, they got the tin roof. Middle class, no tin roof. Just a you know piece of cardboard on the top. Low class, no roof. It's just you know two boards leaning on each other. But the rich, they got, they, they got their, their tin roof. You see, deep poverty. No carpets. No multiple rooms in a, in a shack. No, just one shack. The family sleeps together. The, the shack, the, it's also the, the bedroom. It's also the kitchen. Everything's done in one room. You know, dirt floors. Small, not like, you know, you know, uh, uh, 10,000 square feet. No, just like, you know, maybe a little eight by eight. You see? And they come to Paul. No, Paul, take this. We beg you, Paul. We beg you, Paul. Take this. We plead with you, Paul. Take this. You see, I love these Macedonians. You see, it's a completely different economy. Imploring us, he says in verse 4, with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Now here's Kai again, K-A-I. Remember inclusivity with the word Kai? He says that we would receive the gift, Kai, the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, which is that we would receive the gift, Remember inclusivity? And by saying in receiving this gift, this gift is the fellowship of the ministry to this ministering to the saints. You see, inclusivity and the fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia, it's intercourse. 
Now, if I say intercourse and your mind goes off into crazy town, repent because that's a dirty mind. Remember, what's in our minds? Everything that is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. That's what we need to meditate on. You see? When I say intercourse, it's a social intercourse. That's koinonia. It's like family. I shouldn't say it's like family. It is straight up family. Straight up family. That's koinonia. That's fellowship. Family. I mean, in these worldly examples, we have like Thanksgiving. You have holidays, family get-togethers. And, you know, in, in, according to, in accordance to Adam, what do you have in a family? You know, you can't talk politics. I mean, if you want like to get along with people, you can't talk politics. You can't talk religion. You can't talk about, you know, socialism and capitalism. You can't talk, you know, TV shows. You know, me, when I go into it, yeah, I don't get a lot of family invites because I don't care. Somebody asks me about politics, I'll be straight up. Somebody asks me about religion, I'll be straight up. You know, and sometimes, you know, because it causes like a huge strife, you know, but sometimes you just don't get the invite anymore. Oh, we're having a party. You know, you hear about the party, but it's, you know, after it's already done. <laughs> Somebody asked me about politics. I'm not going to lie. In some cases, I just, I, I kind of, I don't get into it like hardcore. But maybe just like a little, little uh, blanket statement, which is a kind of like a light blanket, but nothing hardcore. Nothing hardcore. Because remember, as much as depends on us, we are to live peaceably with men. But what happened when the mankind enters crazy town? What happens when mankind enters crazy town? You know what the Bible says? They will hate you. People will begin to hate you. Even those in one's own family. Even those under a person's roof. The own family. That's what the Bible says. It's prophetic too. Because in... Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. I read it all the time and I'm going to never, ever, ever get tired of reading it. But in Luke chapter 12, verse 51, the Lord says, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? Do you suppose I came to give peace on earth? That's a question from the Prince of Peace. He says, I tell you not at all. You see, I tell you not at all. Now, does that mean that the Prince of Peace won't bring peace? He will. But not in this particular time because he gives peace in the hearts of those who receive him. And then you'll have peace in your heart, in your mind. But the Prince of Peace will be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords one day. You and me and all who believe, we do it willingly today. And the Lord says, do you suppose I came to give peace on earth? He says, I tell you not at all, but rather division. See, separation. For from now on, Five in one house will be divided. In one house, you see, in one house division. Three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son. Can you imagine in one house? In one house. Division, dad and son. So, oh, but these are family. Look, it's family. You see, and son against father. Oh, look, this is family. And mother against daughter. Oh, but this is family. And daughter against mother. Oh, but this is family. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Oh, look. Look, Jesus, you're breaking up the family. And daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Oh, look, the Lord is breaking up the family. No. I mean, division happens. But is, is it the Lord that's, that, that is, the division is happening because of rejection of Jesus Christ. You see? 
The Lord says, I tell you not at all, not about peace. I don't come to bring peace. He says, but rather division. And that's what truth does. He divides. The Lord Jesus Christ divides. I've been called a homewrecker. I've been called a homewrecker, a destroyer of families. You see? The rejection is the rejection of Christ. Truth. He goes, oh, you're breaking up my family. You've been breaking my family. Show me how. Tell me how. Oh, you tell my son this. You tell my daughter this. You tell my husband this. You say these things. What? To be Christians? To be uh, to abide in Christ? To abide in Christ? To not, not do the drugs? Not do the sex? Not do the alcohol? You see? Not be an alcoholic? Not let the uh, adult female have sex with uh, minor males? Oh, but you're breaking up the family. You're dividing the family. You're very dangerous. Where? How? How? Show me. From the Bible. Show me. You see? Division in one house. Division in one house. It's biblical. Do you suppose I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. And you might be in that state where it's people in your own, under your own roof, it's difficult to be with. And there, there, it's it will be painful. But even still, you can rejoice because it's fulfillment of what the Word of God teaches. I've spoken to children before where, you know, they, their whole family is Catholic. They were raised Catholic, but then the child became a Christian. And it's very difficult for that child to be in the, like, and to, to, to talk with this child and say, look, you know, your home is your mission. Consider your home your mission field. You see? And like before a meal, the child will pray. You know, hey, dad, can I pray for the meal? Sure, son. And then the child prays everything in Jesus' name. You know, and the, the child is now like the, the, the point, taking point, the point man in the family because he knows Jesus. He loves Jesus. You see, it's not to say that, you know, he becomes the head of the household because the head of the household is the dad. But the child in respect of the dad is now a model to the dad, a model to the mom, a model to brothers, a model to sisters, just like Macedonia is a model to Corinth, just like Paul is a model for Titus. In Timothy, you see. And so look what happens here. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In verse 4, this these Macedonian saints, they were imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Here you have a picture of the body caring for the body. You see? Just like we studied in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just like we see in Acts 11, remember the famine in Acts 11, verse 28, and there was a famine that came across, uh, uh, upon the land, but before the famine came, it, it, there was a, a prophecy given to Agabus, who had the gift of prophecy, and he says, there's the famine coming, and so the church, they prepared for that famine. They prepared for that famine to take care, not of the community, to take care of the church, the saints, taking care of the saints. That's, that's abrasive to a lot of people, abrasive a statement to a lot of ministries. But every single ministry, every single ministry of the Lord, no matter what in serving in what capacity, I mean, it must be directed by the Lord himself. You know, the Lord must build that house. But all ministries must have a door, capital D, and a means for equipping. A door and a means for equipping. 
every single ministry. Because if you don't have those two things, you know what it is? It's not a ministry of the Lord. It's a humanitarian effort. It's Habitat for Humanity. It's the Red Cross. It's Red Crescent even. It's all humanitarian efforts. You see, every single ministry must have a door, capital D, and a means for equipping. It's very important. You see, because, there, you know, you might say, oh, the Lord has called me to feed the homeless. The Lord has called me to feed the homeless. Okay. Praise the Lord. Did you, did you test the spirits? Uh, I think so. Okay. Okay. Are there any other? It is also written. Um, I don't know. But I'm going to go do this thing for the Lord. The Lord is calling me into this ministry. And so you feed the home breakfast, lunch, dinner. You feed the homeless breakfast, lunch, dinner every day in and out. You know, breakfast, lunch, dinner every day. Feed the homeless and the homeless people. They might be starving one day. And now that you're serving in this capacity, their bellies are nice and full and their bellies are nice and full. They have a meal for two years, three years, five years, 10 years. And then they die. Well, they're still going to burn in hell. If they've never even known about Jesus Christ, they're still going to burn in hell. You see, because the door was never presented. And the door was never presented, neither was a means for equipping. You see, a lot of people say, oh, I'm going to go serve in this ministry. I'm going to serve the Lord in this ministry. But there has to be a means for people to receive Jesus Christ and for people to be equipped Sometimes it's the umbrella of a church. Sometimes a church will be the equipping and they'll have a, a, a branch or a division that goes into the community for whatever and they present the door and then the door, it's kind of like a long hallway into the church. That's a more common model. Some ministries just have like a package deal. They present the door and then they do the equipping. But there always has to be that those two factors, the door and the equipping. Always, in every single ministry. Mother Teresa who's Catholic. She even says, she, Mother Teresa, she says, you know, I don't speak about Jesus Christ. You know, I'll go and minister to these people, but I don't speak about Jesus Christ. Okay. You're a nice humanitarian. And if you never repented, Mother Teresa, you're going to burn in hell. If she never repented and received Jesus Christ, she's, she's burning in hell. You see where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. <gasps> I can't believe you said that the Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa. Yeah. Mother Teresa. You see, Everybody says, oh, Mother Teresa, she was a great, she did this, she did this. It's humanitarian. Humanitarian. Because there needs to be the door and there needs to be the equipping. And what happens, sometimes Satan, he presents himself as an angel of light. And he says, oh, look, I'm calling you into this ministry. I know you're a Christian and I'm calling you into this ministry. You can serve the Lord and understanding that uh, a baby Christian doesn't understand how to uh, uh, discern these things and discern whether it's an angel of light or an angel of the dark or it's of the Lord or not of, of Satan. And this demon or Satan himself, he seduces and he'll take a baby Christian and say, oh, yeah, I'm calling you to this mission field and I want you to go and minister to these drug heads. I want you to go minister to these prostitutes, these sex heads. I want you to go minister to these alcohol heads. I want you to go minister to these people. And the person, the, the person goes, okay, I will be obedient. But there's no obedience unto the Lord. They're being deceived. And what happens? Remember, Satan's a fisherman too. 
And instead of ministering and bringing people to Christ, bringing all these people to Christ, instead of that happening, Satan brings that person into drugs, into sex, into alcohol, into all, into the occult, and the person falls away from the Lord. You see, it's a trap. Straight up, it's a trap. And so you see these, when he says here, this in verse 4, uh, uh, that we would receive the gift and the fellowship, kai, the koinonia of the ministering of the saints. You see, you see a picture of the body taking care of the body. You see, not the body taking care of the community. Like in, in, in Agabus's day, in, in Acts 11, it's not, you know, you know, let, hey, church, let's store all this food and let's go out into the community and do it. No, it's the saints taking care of the saints. You see, the saints taking care of the saints. Now, if there is an evangelistic uh, 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 um, emphasis behind a ministry, that's fine. Go, if, the, if the Lord is directing it, go out in the community. And yes, if the Lord is calling it, feed the homeless, do all these things. But there always has to be a door. There always there must be a door and then there must be a means for equipping. And there's got to be like stop gaps. I don't want to sound like, you know, worldly and saying stop gaps. But, you know, if, if, if the homeless person is, you know, they're they're coming, they've been coming for, like, you know, a week upon week, month upon month. And they're not accepting Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Somebody's got to pull the plug on that guy. Somebody's got to say, hey, look, you know, we, we're doing this in the name of the Lord and we want you to come to Christ. And if that's not happening, then look, you can't come here anymore. That has to happen. Somebody has to say that. You see? But in these last days where there's a plethora of defunct, who's going to say that? You say, whoa, that's so mean-spirited. Is it really? Read John chapter 6. We reference it every now and then. But in John chapter 6, read the entirety of the chapter and count the number. Do a little census. Do like numbers, you know, count the census in the, the book of numbers. And the Lord says, count the number. Do that. In the, in, read John 9 and count the numbers. 5,000. And when you read in, in, in other uh, gospels, and the 5,000 is really 5,000 plus. So it's 5,000 and even more. So 5,000, the Lord feeds. The Lord provides, the Lord feeds. Praise be to the Lord. That's, you know, he, 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 we have that model in him. He feeds the multitudes. But then he crosses over in one region. The people follow him and he just addresses them point blank. He says, you're following me not because you want the truth that I give. He says, you're following me because your bellies are nice and full. And people started to leave him. And then people started to leave him. And then he says to the disciples, does this offend you? Does this offend you? And even the disciples followed him no more. They, they, even the disciples, they walked away from him, except for 12, 12 stayed with him. You see, it's very important to understand. Read John six and see the numbers in the very beginning and the very end, because in the very beginning, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands are following him at the end not a lot of people i meant thousands became hundreds became 12 you see and it, it, when you read the gospel in entirety the 12 become 11 and the 11 become zero you see and jesus christ dies on the cross We have to understand these things. 
I don't say these statements like, oh, you know, you know, if somebody, the homeless guy comes and eats his meal and he's not, you know, there's no response to Jesus Christ or there's rejection of Jesus Christ. Okay, no more food. No more food. Because the food is like, you know, it, it, that's the lure, so to speak, for fishing for souls. And a lot of times people enter these ministries and they get tired. They get exhausted. You see? And Satan knows the whole time it was a trap. So here we have this in verse 4. It's the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. It's the saints taking care of the saints. The body taking care of the body. But if there's ministries, you know, that take care of communities, take care. Now, that's it. The Lord must direct that. And if he directs that, you know, in obedience, do it. You know, if, if, if you're in serving the Lord in this capacity in a ministry. But never forget, there must be a door and there must be equipping. Because... If there isn't a door and there isn't equipping, don't call it a ministry. Call it humanitarian. You know, don't, it's, it's not a ministry. It's humanitarian, it's habitat for humanity. And so let's look at verse five here. <clears throat> verse five. And not only as we had hoped, I love this so much because it's organic. It's not Paul, you know, orchestrating or manipulating. It's not, he's not going into uh, 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 Macedonia and saying, okay, Macedonia, every, every single one of you donate 20 bucks. Every single one of you do 50 bucks. No, it's all organic. I mean, he was so void of mandates, Paul. He was so void of mandates that the Macedonians were begging him <laughs> and pleading with him, Paul, take this. Take this, Paul. Take this, Paul. That, that's how void of mandates he was. Pastor, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder listening, that's how void Paul was of mandates. You do the same. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you're listening, you do the same. Be void of mandates. Let it be, I say organic, but just to show, you know, non-human hands. But let the Lord, let the Lord do the work. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. I've been called uh, kind of like a... Um, Bad names, I'll say. Bad names. Wow, you don't do this like this guy. 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 Okay, I get it. But I follow a different pattern. You see? It's not hands-on. It's not like, I mean, like hands. there's hands-on in some degree, but it's not hands-on like, okay, you do this. You give 50 bucks. You give this. You No, it's all, or the Holy Spirit is directing the Holy Spirit is doing the work. So much so that the Macedonians, they were begging Paul. Paul, take this. <laughs> you see? Now you have the pastor say, okay, you got to do It's more like a, a therapy session. You know, like, a, you know, you, you, you do this like a, like a, a pep rally. You know, no, it's, it's, people are going to yield to the word or people are not going to yield to the word. People are going to yield to the Holy Spirit or people are not going to yield to the Holy Spirit. Let the Lord establish your membership, pastor. You see these membership applications. You go to church, mostly Calvinist church or Reformed churches, some Lutherans, but you go to these churches, you know, the Presbyterians, and they have these the application for church membership. It's like, what? What in the world is that? The application for like three pages long, four pages, five pages. 
application for church membership. You know, what is your name? What is your wife's name? What is your daughter's name? What is your son's name? How, you know, how old are they? What are their interests? What are these things? What is your commitment to the church? You know, are you going to tithe 10%? Do you commit to tithe 10%? Do you commit to do this? All these things. And then the pastor gets it and says, okay, I'm going to be accountable to these people. What in the world is that? Where's, where's the biblical model for that? Garbage. No, you pour into the people that come into your fellowship. You pour into them and you teach them. And people will reject the truth of God's holy word. People will reject. But then others will take in and they'll grow and they'll mature in Christ. You see, let the Lord, let the Holy Spirit establish your church membership. You see. And so in verse 5, and not only as we had hoped, you see, Paul didn't mandate anything. It's all organic. The Holy Spirit is doing the work. The Holy Spirit is at work in the hearts of the Macedonians. And the Holy Spirit has done this work. And now the Macedonians are an example to the Corinthian church. He says in verse 5, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. You see, now I don't want to lord over anybody. I don't want to have any man. I just said I want a mandate. But highlight this part. If you have a pen or a highlighter, they first gave themselves to the Lord. Highlight that. They first gave themselves to the Lord. You see, prerequisite to any, any joining a ministry or starting a ministry, prerequisite, a heart, a soul must first be given to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, not of the First Corinthians four variety, where they were they were babies. Remember First Corinthians three, where Paul straight up calls them out. He says, "You guys are babies. Uh, you know, I gave you milk at your birth, and three years later, I'm still giving you milk because you're still babies." And the the baby example, they're not an example for others. They're an example of what's bad. They're an example of what not to do. You see. A soul, a heart must first be given to the Lord, you see? And many, a lot of Christians, the majority of Christians, do not follow this holy formula, you see? And because of that, they get tired in ministry, they get exhausted in ministry, or they fall away. The whole time, it was a trap. Satan plays the long game, you see? Satan plays the long game. Oh, yeah. I want you to go and minister to these drug heads. I want you to go minister to these prostitutes. It's not to say that the Lord hates the prostitutes or the Lord hates the drug heads. No, the Lord loves them. And maybe it's for another person to serve in that capacity. You see, maybe it's for another person to serve with the drug heads and the prostitutes. Most likely female for the prostitutes, female Christians. There are strong ministries Former prostitutes who are Christians and former prostitutes are now ministering to the current day prostitutes. Pray for these women. Beautiful, beautiful women. Beautiful, beautiful women. And they go and they minister to these prostitutes there and they win the souls of prostitutes for Christ. You see? And the people who go and minister to the druggies, it's like a lot of them, the majority, beautiful ministries. They themselves were former drug heads. They themselves had issues with drugs, you see? And now the Lord is saying, okay, now. That's what's so powerful. Just like with Moses. The, Moses took, Moses, Moses, the Lord took Moses out of Egypt and 
don't forget, you know, we're studying numbers, but before Israel's 40 years, Moses had his 40 years. You see, the Lord did the work inside of Moses. And then he sends Moses back to Egypt. You see, don't forget Moses had his own set of his own personal and private set of 40 years for his own growth. You see, and now that he has this growth, now the Lord says, okay, now I'm going to send you to Egypt. You see, it's very important to understand because we're losing the fight. We're losing the battle. You hear people say, oh, I've read the Bible and you know, in the end we win. No, no, no. In the end, God wins. Whose side are you on? You see, that's what happened in Jeremiah's day. Jeremiah, the lonely prophet, the weeping prophet, everybody would say, oh, Jeremiah, you're so stupid. You're so crazy. Look, we're of the elect. We're of the Lord. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. Well, where were they? Were they with the Lord? No, the Lord was with Jeremiah. You see, the Lord even told Jeremiah, these, these prophets, they don't speak for me. They speak with it. It's their own accord. They don't speak for me. Jeremiah, I'm speaking to you. You see, who was with Jeremiah? Very few. You see, very few. Very few. And Lamentations is a sad book. The lamenting of Jeremiah for Judah. The lamenting of Jeremiah for Israel. You see, in verse 5, they first gave themselves to the Lord. You see, the Lord must do the work inside of you before he can do the work through you. You And when he does the work inside of you, when you first give yourself to the Lord, remember Moses, 40 years. You see, Moses, 40 years. You must allow the Lord to do the work inside of you first. And while he does that, you must reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead, become not old wineskin, become new wineskin when the Lord does the work inside of you. You reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead, you carry your cross, you're crucified with Christ, and then all of a sudden you grow, you're mature, and then all of a sudden, then the Lord does the work through you. Just like with Macedonia, the poor, the deep poor, not just poor, but poor, persecution, tribulation, and Paul is using them as the example for Corinth. Understanding that the Macedonians, they first gave themselves to the Lord. And now that the Lord has done the work inside the Macedonians, now he's doing the work through the Macedonians. And the Holy Spirit is saying, look, yeah, you're poor, but I'm going to take care of you. Yeah, you're poor. I'm going to take care of you. Give, help the churches, help the saints. And these poor saints, impoverished, deep poverty, they're providing the funds for the churches. You see, they're bankrolling the fellowship, so to speak, underwriting the fellowship, so to speak, underwriting Paul's missionary journeys, so to speak. You see how beautiful this is? The Macedonian example, just like the 12,001 from Numbers 31, the example, they first gave themselves to the Lord in verse 5, and then to us by the will of God, yielding to Paul. In submission to Paul, understanding that Paul is a vessel given by the Lord for them. So that they can grow, so that they can mature in Christ. You see? Praise the Lord for some people. I don't think, me personally, I don't think Paul would be well received in the church today. 
I think you will be kicked out of the church today, booted out of the church today. Imagine if we're in a fellowship. I mean, we're in a fellowship, but imagine if we're in another fellowship and we're sitting there in the pews. I'm sitting next to you. You're sitting next to me. We're sitting there in the pews. And you know, we sing our praise the Lord, hallelujahs. And I'm not denigrating that by saying it like that, but I'm just giving an example. And the pastor, you know, the announcements are said and the pastor says, we have a guest speaker today. And his name is Paul. And he comes in and he stands at the pulpit and he says, your rejoicing isn't good, you guys. Because I found out there's a guy here who's having sex with his dad's mom. You need to take this guy. Elders, stand up. You need to take this guy and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And then I also caught wind that there were, you know, the sex heads, the drug heads. And not just, you know, uh, for a week. No, it's been two years where the sex is getting worse. The drugs, it's getting worse. The alcohol, it's getting worse. Extortioners, people who have their employers and they're extorting money from their employers. People who are extorting money from the church. People who are doing all these things, the revilers, the drunkards. He says, "You, everybody, you need to separate. Mark these people and separate from him. Don't even eat from them. You know how fast the, that's the guest speaker by the name of Paul. You know how fast that pastor would jump up and say, oh, don't, don't go away. Don't go away. We love you. You know, God is love. We're just going to love on you and take care of everybody. Take care. We're, we're going to love on you and let God take care of the rest. Well, God was taking care of things through that vessel, Paul. That's how God took care of things. I mean, it's better for a Paul than it is for the Lord himself. Because if it's the Lord himself, it's straight up judgment. You see, it's it's better to have Christian judgment than it is to have the Lord's judgment because he's, he's coming with a sword in his mouth. You see, he came as the lamb the first time and we willingly yield to him. We crown him king of kings and Lord of lords in our hearts. But when he comes the second time, that's, it's over. It's over. I mean, it's, it's not like, okay, there's, you know, repent and no, that's the door of grace will be closed. You see, Paul wouldn't be well reasoned. The pastor would get up. Oh, I made a mistake. We we just had this guest speaker. I thought he was okay, but no, he's not good. He 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 sows these seeds of division. You know, let's not listen to this guy. Sorry, guys. Sorry, everybody. Oh, oh you, you guy who you who's having sex with your dad's wife. It's okay. Keep tithing. You know, you who you're also a sex head influenced by this guy who's having sex with his dad's wife. Don't don't go anywhere. You're still tithing. You know, you, the extortioner, drunkard, you, don't go anywhere. Here, let me pass around the offering plate. You see? That's the last day's church. I don't think Paul would be well received in the churches today. But yet, the Macedonians, they're in submission to Paul, understanding that, yes, Paul is there to help them, to teach them, to pour into them. It's very interesting. when In verse 5, when he says they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us, they give themselves to Paul. Well, the Macedonians, they didn't have these issues that Corinth did. You see, they didn't have these issues. Like Philippi, the Philippian church. You don't see these, uh, like, you know, the, the commit, separate, you know, commit this guy to Satan. You don't see that in Philippians. You do not see that in Philippians. 
You see in Corinth, you see these warnings for Corinth, you see these warnings for the Galatian church, you see these warnings for Ephesus, but when it comes to the Philippian church, you don't see that. You do see warnings, but it's like, you know, don't go in this direction. It's not to say flat out, you guys are wrong, don't do this. It's to say, don't let yourselves get to this situation. You don't see that in Philippians. Why? Well, they submitted themselves to Paul and he was a teacher to them. Not to say that Paul wasn't a teacher to Ephesus. Paul wasn't a teacher to Corinth. He certainly was. But who else were they lending ear to? Who else was were the saints lending ear to? You see? Maybe they followed the New York Times bestseller guy. You know? Telling them about crazy love. Oh yeah, this guy's having sex with his dad's wife. But we're just going to give them crazy love. Oh, this guy, he's an extortioner, a reviler, a drunkard, but we're just going to give them crazy love, you see? And they enter crazy town because they submit to crazy love, you see? And now crazy love is talking about uh, crazy unity, 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 everything for the sake of unity. I'm all for church unity. I'm all for church unity, but emphasis on church unity, biblical church unity, you see? No alignment with Rome. No alignment. How, how can Pro Protestant churches today are aligning themselves to Rome in acceptance of the transubstantiation of Christ? How, how does that happen? In order for that to happen, a soul has to let go of Jesus Christ because that is unbiblical. And you have crazy love, crazy unity people now embracing the transubstantiation of Christ, which is unbiblical. Oh, church unity, church unity. Let's be one with the Lutherans. Let's be one with the Episcopals. Let's be one with the Catholics. Let's be one. Let's all be one. Unity, unity, unity. You see? A new era of peace. Another sign of the times. Who else was Corinth lending ear to? The defunct pastors, the defunct elders. Oh, my pastor says it's okay. Look, I can have sex with my dad's wife and I'm, nobody says anything, so it's okay. Look at that influence in the church. A little leaven leavens the bunch. You see, in Galatia, oh, this guy says that, you know, I'm in Christ, but all of a sudden I got to start doing the works of the law in the Old Testament. Who were they? They were lending ear to these teachers. You see, lending ear. Philippians, they lent ear to Paul, you see, to Paul. He was the influencer. Titus, he was the influencer. Timothy, he was the influencer. And they themselves in Paul's bubble, the holy, remember our, when you, you hear us make mention of the holy bubble? They were all influenced by Paul, a vessel of the Lord. Not just the future generation of righteousness, the future generation of pastors, elders, ministry leaders. You see? And that's what you see in the Macedonians. Yes, they, they first gave themselves to the Lord, but then they gave themselves not just to Paul, to us. He says, Paul's holy bubble. Understanding that this holy bubble is from the Lord. The Lord built that house. The Lord established that bubble. You see? And everything's organic. It's, there's no choreography of man. 
There's no uh, manipulation of man. It's not mankind doing it. It's of the Lord. You see? And then to us by the will of God. In verse 6, so we urge Titus. So remember Paul's bubble, we. We urge Titus that as he had begun, as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well or fulfill and accomplish this grace in you as well. You see? So now Titus is like a messenger. Titus is a messenger now and his work is to complete the grace in Corinth. You see? And telling them about the Macedonian example. You see? The example of the poor saints. You see? Yes, they were poor, but oh my goodness, they were very, very rich. You see? You know, considering Paul with this holy bubble established by the Lord, understand that regarding Corinth, now this is the remnant of Corinth. The leaven has been taken care of. Now, the remnant... We're already six years in from the birth of the church. That's Acts 18. We're already six years in. And now, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, now the focal point is, now let's fulfill and accomplish this grace. Let's fulfill and accomplish this grace in the remnant of Corinth. You see? And Titus is going to be a giver of this. He's, he's the messenger. He's the runner. He's going to go tell this to the, the, the Corinthians. You see? Six years in, most Christians never reach this understanding. Remember last week when we said most Christians never read this, never reach this point? You know, because like in chapter 7, uh, 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 when Paul says in verse 8, uh, uh, even though I made you sorry with my letter, I don't regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though for a while. But now he says, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made so sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. You see? Most Christians never reach that point. They, they, they reach the sorrow part, but when they reach the sorrow part, they say, you know what? I'm going to go to this other church. I'm going to go to this other church. This guy's going to tickle my ears. You see? I'm going to go to church and I'm going to feel good about myself and this guy's going to tickle my ears. Nice, fine, and dandy. But if he's defunct, it's very dangerous to be a baby. That's called regression. I mean, picture a baby in, in this world, picture a baby, diapers, bottle, binky, and all of a sudden grows up to maturity, has the facial hair, has to shave, and then all of a sudden becomes a baby all over again. That's not good. That's regression. That's not good at all. Most Christians never even reach this point because they, they get sorrowful. They, they're made sorry. They're, they're made to uh, grief and they're made to feel that grief as a result. Remember, the Lord is reactionary as a result of their own sin. And when they're corrected, remember, only the crucified can correct. Only the crucified can correct. Never forget that. Only the crucified can correct. Because there's a big problem in the church today where carnal wants to correct or the hypocrite wants to correct. It doesn't work that way. Only the crucified can correct. 
And so when the crucified corrects, they say, oh, you're so mean-spirited, you're so mean, you're so hateful, you're so hurtful, all these things, you're crazy, all these things, you've lost your mind, all these things, understanding that they're being made sorry, but what is their response now? Most Christians never reach this point because they just find another pastor, they just go to another church. But godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. You see? And this is a letter to the church. A letter to the church. You say, but they were already saved. They were already saints. Yeah. But even saints need to take a shower. Even saints need a bath. Remember? Oh, but I thought one saved, always saved. No, it's not one saved, always saved. That's what's common. That's what's a common thought according to a theory. But it's not true. Oh, but I thought once saved, always saved. No, no, you won't find that in the Bible. Oh, but I have eternal security in Christ. Yeah, you do. So I don't get it. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ and never leave. There you go. Eternal security. Abide in Christ and he in you. Abide in Christ. Most Christians never even make it this far. Because they just find the guy who will tickle their ears. Or the lady who will tickle their ears, you know, and they, you know, the one step in the wrong direction, one step away from sound doctrine, and then the next step in away from sound doctrine, the next, the next, the next, the next, the next, and then boom, they're gone. Crazy town. It's happening. It's happening. The last day's church, four categories of the last day's church, false, apostate, on its way to apostasy or entering apostasy or true. So let's look at verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And Paul says this, But as you abound in everything, or as you increase in everything, and then he says this in verse 7, In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. You see the increase. as you In verse 17, as you abound in everything, increase in faith, increase in speech, increase in knowledge, increase in all diligence, and increase in in your love for us. They, in submission to Paul. This, this remnant, yes, it's a work of the Lord, but it's through the vessel, Paul, through the vessel, Chloe, those in Chloe's household, alerting Paul, the male covering for the all the church. It's their own submission. You could say submission to Paul, but ultimately it's submission to the Lord because Paul is a vessel of the Lord, as the Lord told Ananias, the good Ananias, not the bad Ananias who was married to Sapphira, the good Ananias. You see? And their increase in the love of Paul because of his care for the church. You see? And Paul's not, Paul's not self-seeking at all. He's not saying, oh yes, and you love us. It's not self-seeking at all. You know? Remember, Paul desired to be with the Corinthians, the saints in Corinth, but he also purposed not to even go to Corinth. You see, does that mean he hates, hates the Corinthians? No, he has deep, profound love for the Corinthian saints. Deep, profound love. But Paul purposed not to go to Corinth. Acknowledging his love for them their love for him, 
but also realizing and for us remembering that Paul doesn't even go to Corinth. Does that mean he hates them? Not at all. Many pastors today, they desire to be the star of the church. They get their, you know, their nice parking spots so they don't have to walk very far. They get all the likes on social media. They're the influencers. Many pastors like to be the star of the church. But very few, very few desire to be the scum of the earth. The scum of the earth. And I say that, remember our study through 1 Corinthians 4, specifically verse 13. 1 Corinthians 4, 13. Very few pastors desire to be the scum of the earth. You see. But when a pastor is the scum of the earth and desires to be the scum of the earth, it's not, there's no boasting. It's 100% for the beauty of the bride. For the beauty of the of the bride. So the bride can be even more beautiful and shine even more brightly and 100% for the glory of the Lord. You see? This holy bubble of Paul, established by the Lord, built by the Lord, it's not just the next, next generation of righteousness. It's the next generation of pastors, elders, deacons, bishops, male, female, remember female deaconess like, like Phoebe? Pastor, elder, always male, always male. No female pastors, biblically, no female pastors. Oh, but my church has a female pastor. Okay, get a new church. You see? Oh, but my church has female elders. Okay, find a new church. They're not following the holy formula. I, I don't make the rules. I'm just the messenger. You see, when Paul says that you abound in everything in verse 7, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in diligence, and in your love for us, it, there's no like, look, you love us. There's, It's not self-seeking. He says, see that you abound in this grace also. See that you abound in this grace also. And he's using the Macedonian example. What is he talking about? Giving. Financial giving. Help with funds, but through funds, helping the ministry of helps. You see? Most Christians, most churches, they have it backwards. Look at, we're six years in. Six years in from the birth of the church in Acts 18. We're six years in. And now Paul is addressing, in spite of the Spirit, is addressing, is telling them, see that you also abound in this grace. Also, he's teaching them about giving. He's teaching the Corinthian church about giving. Because when you give of your own personal finances, when you give, it's not just like, you know, oh, I'm going to write a check for 10%, 10 everybody's big on 10%, 10%, you know? Everybody's big on that, 10%. Oh, it's in the Bible, it's in the Bible. Okay, under what covenant? You see? Now, yes, tithing is good. Yes, offering to the Lord is good. I'm not trying to say that it's not good. It is biblical. But it's not for the babies. Because the babies think, oh yeah, I'm, 
write a check for 10% and I'm good to go. I'm going to write a check for 10% and everything's going to be fine and dandy. I have all these promises of the Lord. You know, look, I, the Lord says, challenge me and challenge me in giving. And so look, I'll be a baby and I'm going to write a check 10%. Here, Lord, I'm challenging you. So rain upon me, Lord. Where is the goodness? I want the blessings. They got it wrong. They got it backwards. Look at everything that Corinth has been t- been through with the, the division, the separation. You know, the division that happened. Take this guy and sub- commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. These guys who are the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the rock and roll, all these things separate from such a person. Then you have this smaller remnant. And we get into 2 Corinthians. It's okay, take these guys back in. These people who were identified as leaven, they've repented. Now bring them back into the fellowship. So now you have a, a little remnant that's bigger now, more mature. We're six years in. And now Paul is teaching them about giving, abounding in this grace also. And he's using the Macedonian example. He's using the example of the mature Christians in Macedonia. To help the growing, it's like saying you're going to use a 15-year-old as an example for a a nine-year-old. You know, do it like this. Do it like these brothers and sisters. You see, you're going to use the example of the elder. Older, I mean, I don't mean elder like, you know, like a church role. I, I mean like older, the more mature. The body taking care of the body, not just in giving, But the body taking care of the body as exemplary too. Because the Macedonians are an example for the Corinthians. And now we're six years in. And what is Paul talking about? Money. You see? He says, I speak not by commandment. Not emphasis on not. Not by commandment. There's no mandate. You know, you give 10%. You give $100. If if, if you give $10, we'll take it and we'll send you a pamphlet of thanks. We'll send you a thank you letter. Oh, if you give $50, we'll send you a nice pamphlet. And if you give $1,000, we'll get you, give, send you a book. We'll send you a hardbound book with autograph, all these things. We'll send you all these things. If you just sow this seed, no, that's garbage. That's what you see on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly. That's what you see on Christian, so-called, I'm doing air quotes, Christian TV. No, this, there's no imposition of giving of finances. You see? No, it's not that you have to give, you have to give. You see? Every single church has the offering plate. They pass out the offering plate. Every single church. But you know what's interesting? The large majority, I teach from America, but most of the churches in Western cultures, they're still babies. They haven't moved on to perfection. They're still babies. And yet this offering plate is being passed around. When Paul starts to teach about this subject of abounding in the grace of giving of finances, he doesn't say it to the babies. It's not an exhortation to the babies. It's an exhortation to the mature, such as those in Macedonia, who are now an example to the no longer baby Corinthians. You see? There's a formula, a holy formula. And Paul says, I speak not by commandment, 
but I am testing the sincerity of your love or I am examining the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others or through the diligence of others. Remember Macedonia's influence to Corinth. The Macedonian saints as influencers to the Corinthian saints. Now, what poor person do you know? In accordance to this world, what poor person do you know who is an influencer? No, everybody's all big on social media. Oh, I'm an influencer. Look, I have 100,000 followers. Look, I have 200. Look, I have a million followers. Look, I'm a social media influencer. No, they're fools. Fools. They do the clickbait. You know, they just get the clickbait. You know, like, follow. Everybody's a follow, follow. Look, I'm an influencer. Look how awesome I am. In God's economy, the influencer is the scum of the earth. And I say that in accordance to 1 Corinthians 4 verse 13. The world is at enmity with God, which means the world is at enmity with his vessels. Paul, who acknowledges himself as the scum of the earth in accordance to 1 Corinthians 4 13, and he's the godly influencer. You see, the Macedonians who were deep poverty and persecution and tribulation, they're the influencers to Corinth. You see, God's economy is totally different. And he's using the, the, the diligence of the Macedonian saints for Corinth. You see, now this is Corinth without the leaven. This is Corinth who are no longer babies. This is Corinth as a remnant. See? He says in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes to the ultimate example. That through that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, if this is a richness not of this world. Not a richness according to Adam. A richness in Christ. Remember Jesus Christ in Revelation 2, you are poor, but you are rich. Look at the Macedonians. You guys are poor, deep poverty, but oh my goodness, you are so rich. Rich. Look at verse 7. Rich in what? Faith, speech, knowledge, diligence. Look at all these, the, the fruit of the Spirit being added. You know, remember faith as a gift, knowledge as a gift. But yet these gifts can grow. You see? Increase in faith. Oh, I thought I just had faith and that was it. Yeah, you do have faith, but allow it to grow. Oh, I'm an intellectual. I don't believe in that. Well, you know, dethrone intellect. Dethrone the logic. Because I'm speaking about something entirely supernatural. Entirely holy. In verse 10. And in this, I give advice. This is Paul's counsel now. In this, I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began to do and were desiring to do a year ago. You see, what's very interesting about this is we're six years in. We're six years in and a year prior, so five years in, a year prior, Paul is writing about what the church began to do or were desiring to do a year prior, which was five years in, the 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 the, the leaven has already been dealt with. This is a, a more mature remnant. And what Paul is writing about 
the Holy Spirit had already started the work, had already started to put in the hearts of the people, hey, now start doing this work about giving. And don't forget when, you know, when love being the greatest gift, when Paul taught the church about love being the greatest gift. And it's so beautiful to see how the writing of Paul aligns perfectly with how the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of the Corinth, of the church in Corinth. And I say the writing of Paul, but understand it's inspired of the Spirit. The Lord is doing the work. You see, the Spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. The Spirit of the Lord always guides into the will of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord always guides into the, 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 the confines of Holy Scripture Genesis to Revelation, the Spirit of the Lord will never lead somebody away from Christ. The Spirit of the Lord will never lead somebody to, to go grave soaking. The Spirit of the Lord will never lead somebody to take the mark of the beast. The Spirit of the Lord will do away with those things and guide into the truth of God's holy word and guide in righteousness. The Spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. You see, does Satan cast out Satan? You see, remember when Jesus Christ was being accused? Oh, you're, you do this by Beelzebub. You do this in the power of Satan. No, does Satan cast out Satan? No, the spirit of the Lord guides into the, into the Lord. <laughs> it's very powerful when you read, when you, you know, how many times do you hear us mention all the time when we're three years in, you know, 1 Corinthians, you know, three years after the birth, three years after the birth, and then, you know, 2 Corinthians, three years after the first letter, so a total of six years. And when you when you understand that, then you could put like a little timetable and be like, wow, here in verse 10, what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, so five years from the birth of the church, the leaven was taken care of two years prior to that. And it's like, wow, now they're moving on to perfection. And now look how the Holy Spirit is guiding. Now we get into the leading, this topic of giving. This topic of giving. A lot of pastors today, they like teaching about giving because they receive a portion of the tithes and offerings. You see? Oh, yeah, we're going to teach about tithes and offerings. We're, we're going to teach about this. And we're going to pass around the offering plate. And they do so to baby Christians. Oh, you're a brand new believer. Praise be to the Lord. Here's the offering plate. And then the new believer, they see all these people putting in checks, writing checks. Oh, okay. Since they're doing it, I'm going to do it too. You know, you have babies who haven't even allowed the work to do the work inside of them yet. Maybe just a little bit. Remember the Macedonian example in verse 5 where I highly encourage that. I want to Lord order anybody, but I highly encourage that you highlight in verse 5. They first gave themselves to the Lord. You see? Not crack, not sex, not the strippers, not the prostitutes, not the occult, not the Satan. No, give themselves to the Lord. And now the Macedonians are begging Paul, Paul, take this money, take this money, take this money. They were poor. Take this money, Paul. And now their example is for this no longer childish church, no longer immature saints. You see, no longer carnal church, no more leaven in the church. And now Paul is teaching them about money, about finances. You see, so what's happening in the churches today? Why, why is it that you see just 
the opposite in churches today. Well, I can explain why, but it's not a good picture. It's not a good picture. Yes, tithes and offerings are beautiful things when it's unto the Lord, but don't forget obedience, 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 obedience is better, is better than the fat of rams. Obedience is better than the fat of rams. You see, never forget that. Old Testament, New Testament, obedience is better than the fat of rams. I'm not advocating the law, but I, when I say New Testament, I mean, you know, and according to the Spirit. Obedience is better than the fat of rams. Never forget that. Oh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this check for $10,000. Who cares? Who cares about the amount? Forget, oh, you don't like $10,000? Forget about the amount. I'll write a check for a million dollars. Forget about it. I've had people tell me before, hey, look, you know, hey, we're, we're going to leave the fellowship. We're going to leave your church. Number one, it's not mine. We're going to leave your church. And you know what? We're going to take our money with us. Like dangling, like, you know, oh, who, you know, that's, who cares? This isn't about money. This is about your soul. When people ask, you know, our, our church finance is okay. Who cares? The Lord will take care of us. The Lord will provide. Our church finance is okay. Who cares? The Lord, the Lord's going to take care of us. He's He's taking care of us, and He's provided. The Lord is going to take care of us. You know, oh, I don't like how you teach like this, and so we might go to another fellowship. And yeah, you know, you know, how are church finances? They kind of do it discreetly. I've been asked these. I've been told these before. A little side conversation. Hey, can I talk to you, Pastor? I don't like how you say it like this. I don't like how you teach like this. And so we might go check out another fellowship. And oh, by the way, how are church finances? <sighs> Who cares? The Lord will provide. The Lord will take care. You see, people have this idea, these concepts in their mind about how things. It's in accordance to Adam. First generation which must die. It's the set, the second generation which lives. The generation of Christ. You see? And now Paul is using this Macedonian example. In, in, in verse uh, 10. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. You see how beautiful this is? The Holy Spirit was already at work a year prior and not at year, not six years prior or five years prior or four years prior when they were still babies. Not five years prior when they were still leaven in the church. You see, Corinth needed this separation. These, the new wineskin had to be separated from the old wineskin. Old wineskin is where you find the defunct, the works of the flesh. And there needed to be a separation from the, those and new wineskin, such as Chloe, those in her household. You see? And now Paul is pouring into the new wineskin. New wineskin, full of new wine. Paul pouring into new wineskin and not full of new wine, but getting full of new wine. Because now by the Spirit is leading, hey, 
excel in this gift also. See, this new wineskin, the remnant of Corinth, they're not old wineskin anymore because the old, the influence of the old wineskin, it's gone. And so now the Holy Spirit, the Lord pouring in new wine into these new wineskins, and just like verse 7, faith, so the, 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 the ingredients of the new wine, faith, in speech, in knowledge, in diligence, in your love, and all these things. And now it's like, okay, now in this grace, giving. You see, new wine is being poured into new wineskin. Old wine need not apply. Old wine, if there's an old wine pastor, don't submit to that guy. If there's an old wine pastor who's female, definitely don't submit to that lady. Because that's it's, it's not the it's not the formula. That's not the equation. The equation's wrong. Oh, but my pastor's female. My pastor's female. That's that's not the formula. That's not the equation. That's like saying one plus one is eight. No. It's not the equation. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the messenger. No, the pastor must be new wineskin. New wine goes inside the pastor, fills the pastor. This is like in through his life, you know, not like, you know, real time, like right now. No, real time right now is the overflowing, the, the overflowing of this new wine, not into old wineskins. I mean, there might be old wineskin who is in the process of turning into new wineskin, which means sacrifice, reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead, reckoning that old vessel dead and being alive in Christ. And then new wine starts to fill up. No holes in that wineskin. That's what we see in Corinth. The leaven, gone. The babies, if, if there were babies who were those in Chloe's household, how beautiful it is to be under the tutelage of whoever was teaching in Chloe's household. Maybe it was Chloe herself. Maybe it was a fellowship of women. Maybe. I have a strong set. I can make a strong case that that fellowship was Predominantly, if not 100%, women. Maybe Chloe's husband, Chloe's household, you know, not a lot of women bought houses in those days. So maybe Chloe's husband died. Maybe she was a, a, a widower, a, a widow. Maybe, uh, maybe she was like Lydia, a business owner. I don't know. But I have a strong feeling and I can make a very strong case that that fellowship was probably women. You see? Because they go to, it's not them addressed talking to the elders, them talking to the pastors. They go to Paul, male headship. You see, they go to Paul. And how beautiful is it that now Paul is teaching this remnant about giving using the Macedonian example. Just like we studied Numbers 31 and 32, the 12,000 influence unto the 600,000. In the world, it's the opposite. You know, it's like, you know, I have uh, 6,000, 600,000 followers. Now I'm the influencer. What about the guy who has like, you know, uh, two followers? You see, what about the guy who has three followers? Paul's holy bubble. And I'm speaking in terms of social media for you young generation, just so you can understand the older generation. Like, what? what are you talking about followers? You know, the older generation, like kids nowadays, the younger generation. It's all about the gram, all about the gram. But there's a way that leads into righteousness. Understand, young, old, male, female, I don't care. 
There is a way that leads to righteousness. There is a formula that the Lord has set before us that we follow. And I don't say formula. I don't want to sound like, you know, we, you know, you know, uh, it's not like a, like a script that we follow. It's organic. It's the Holy Spirit doing the work inside of you, inside of me. Holy bubble. Worker, field, field, worker. You see? Macedonia as an example, the example of Macedonia unto the others, unto the, you know, the more mature as an example to the less mature. Just like we looked at Romans. Remember the rugby match? 20-year-old playing with the 4-year-old? It's not that the 4-year-old gets destroyed and mowed over by the 20-year-old behemoth. No, the behemoth has to humble himself. The behemoth has to humble herself. I don't know. For females, it sounds bad to say behemoth for a female, but <laughs> compared to a 2-year-old, behemoth. You know, my beautiful behemoth sisters. <laughs> so it, humility, humility. The older humbles themselves for the younger, just like the Macedonians humble them in their humility, in their state of humility, are helping the Corinthians. You see? And so Paul continues here. Paul continues here. He says in verse 10, I give advice. It is to your advantage. Not only be doing what you began to do and were desiring to do a year ago. Something else we see interesting here. You have this more mature remnant and what they were desiring to do a year prior to, we're six years in. So what they were desiring to do five years in, because Paul says a year ago, you start to see the desires of this remnant. Imagine the desires if we were two years into the church in Corinth, where the guy was having sex with his dad's wife. There was rampant sexual immorality, uh, 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 alcoholism, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. Imagine what the desires of that fellowship would look like. You see? With, with the leaven. Imagine what those desires. I mean, if there was like... Sexual, not if they're, they're what, two years in from the birth of the church, there was sexual immorality inside the church. Inside the church. Imagine the desires of those Christians. Imagine their desires with immaturity, with leaven. Now you carve out the leaven. And you have this lump. It's smaller, but it's a lump nonetheless. And this lump is holy. Picture their desires now. You see, it's very dangerous to be a baby. Because even like a three-year-old, a two-year-old has these desires. You know, and it might be, there might be purity behind their desires. You know, oh, uh, 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 mama, papa, can I uh, 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 play on the floor? Can I uh, play with this toy? You know, it's, it's, it's innocence behind that desire. But then what happens? Mama, papa, can I put my finger in the socket? Mama, papa, can I play with this uh, knife? Mama, papa, can I play with this gun? Mama, papa, can I play with this, you know, thing that might chop off my hand? No, there's danger behind being a baby. The desires of a baby, the desires of a child aren't necessarily good for that child or good for the bunch. But what happens when the child matures? 
He's like, Mama, Papa, can I can I use this knife? No, you're a baby. You're going to hurt yourself. And then two years later, three years, Mama, Papa, can I use this knife? Sure, go ahead, because I've taught you. I've trained you. You see? Mama, Papa, I'm not going to put my finger in the socket. Now the, the child can vacuum. You know, put, their fi- put the plug in the socket. Now the child can vacuum. But when they're young, they can't vacuum. You see? Doing their chores in the house. Not being slaves. A lot of parents like children slaves. Oh, let's have a lot of children. And, you know, I could just have this slave class in my home. You know, I have baby after baby. And yet let my daughters take care of the babies. I'm going to teach them servanthood. No, you're teaching them garbage. You want, you just, you're just teaching. You, you want to be the master. You see? Slave class in your home. And then the ch- children get old. They mature. They grow up. And then they leave. And then I've had parents have this conversation with me. They're like worried about finances because they use their child for as like uh, for tax credits. Oh, yeah, we're going to lose this amount of money. What are you talking about? Oh, this child is, you know, growing up, this child is going to join the military. This child is, we're going to lose all these tax advantages. Your children are tax advantages? You, you see your children, you see your son, you see your daughters as tax advantages? You see? Craziness in the house of God. Crazy town. It's sad. Yeah, it breaks my heart. But then when you read about Paul's writings, judgment comes first in the house of God. It's easy to understand why. Because the church is a mess. It is prophesied for the church to be a mess in the last days. What do we see in these days? The church is a mess. Another sign of the times. It's so beautiful that what the church was desiring to do a year ago. Now, Paul, when he gives this advice or count in verse 10, and in this I give advice, I give counsel. So in Paul's counsel, it's not to say that that counsel was... Not an option, but it was not an option for Corinth when they were babies, when they were, when they had leaven. It's not to say like Paul could go into Macedonia and give this advice. Paul could go into Philippians, Philippi and give this advice, but Paul couldn't go into Corinth and give this advice because not because of Paul, not because of the advice. The counsel is sound, not because of, you know, oh, this, this is unbiblical. It doesn't no, not because of that at all. It's because of the saints. They were babies. You see? The desire of a baby isn't always a good thing for the baby, for the household, for the family, for the church. But now, now that the remnant is taken care of, you have more mature saints, and the Macedonians are an example to them. They're moving on to perfection. Now, Paul starts to teach this thing. This concept you were, you were designed to do a year ago in verse 11, but now you also must complete the doing of it. I love this so much. The Holy Spirit began the work in their hearts and Paul in alignment with the same spirit is saying, okay, now it's time to execute. You have to do it. Not being a hearer of the word only, but being a doer of the word. Remember, faith without works is dead. And I'm not talking about we're saved by works. I'm talking about obedience. Acts, the book of Acts, I love the title of the book of Acts. You know why? Because it's about Acts. In the book of Acts, the saints acted. In the book of Acts, there was action for the saints. You see? Worker and field. In verse 11, but now you must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. You see how powerful this is? Out of what you have. 
Forget the amount. Forget the amount. The Macedonian example, remember, it was the poor. And they became rich. No, no dollar amount. In verse 12, for if there is first a willing mind, a willing mind. You see, remember in verse 7, what I recommended you highlight in, in, in verse 5, in, in chapter 8, verse 5. The Macedonian example, they first gave themselves to the Lord. You see, and in giving yourself to the Lord, when you reckon the old man dead, when you reckon the old woman dead, you will be new. You will be made new as surely as the Lord lives. You yield to him. You yield to the spirit. You yield to his word. You will be made new, which means your mind is going to change. The things I thought about 30 years ago are much different than what I think about now. The things that I dwell upon today are much different than what I dwelt on 25 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, even five years ago. Why? Because the mind is different. The mind is different. And it can happen for you too. It's you and me. We're the ones that yield to him, the Lord. You see? That's what's so beautiful and powerful about Because the leaven can't understand these things. The leaven can't, understand, can't even partake of these things. Why? Because their mind has been go, given over to the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion. Their mind is given over. Oh, how can I take money from my employer? Extortion. How can I take money from all oh, my, my employer? They make, they, they have these expenses. They spend a million dollars a week. And what's the big deal if I just take, you know, a couple thousand here? Extortion. You see? The carnal mind cannot fathom these things. The carnal mind cannot take in these things, absorb these things. And where there's carnality in the fellowship, it's the pastors and the elders who have to address it. Not to say, hey, you're out of here. But to provide warning and a means for equipping. And that soul has to choose, okay, I'm going to submit to this godly counsel or I'm going to go to another another fellowship and this pastor is going to tickle my ears and I'm going to feel good about myself. The only way you can feel good about yourself in studying the word of God is when you yield to him and when you obey the Lord. Because if there's disobedience, you won't feel good. You will not feel good because there's the disconnect. The Lord is exposing your carnality the same way he exposes my carnality before him. You see? In verse 12, for, for if, if, if there is first a willing mind. But remember, the leaven is gone. The mind that's given over to sex, to drugs, to rock and roll, that's gone. That's gone. And when I say rock and roll, I mean, I mean you know, like sex, drugs. I just say that the, the sex, and, sex, drugs, rock and roll lifestyle. No, we have to surrender to the Lord. Reckon the old man dead, old woman dead, carry our cross. Remember, the cross is a, a tool of death. And it's only the crucified that can correct. This willing mind. Paul didn't say these things in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because it would have been dangerous. Paul would have been disobedient because they weren't ready for it. They were the ones that could not accept this counsel. It's not to say that the counsel wasn't there. The counsel was certainly there, but not yet in 1 Corinthians 3 because certain things had to happen. The leaven. 
If there is first in verse 12 a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has or in proportion to what it is accepted according to the proportion. It is proportional and not according to what he does not have. Very interesting. Don't go into credit. You have these pastors on TV. Oh, yeah, you know, give us your credit card, you know, do all these things. No, you know, if, if you if you give offerings by credit card, make sure you pay it off, you know, make sure you have the funds to pay it off, you know. Not to go into credit card debt for tithing. Don't gamble and say, oh, you know, I, you know to, 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 to fast. Yeah, I'm going to go to the casino and Lord, I, I pray that you bless me at the casino. And if you bless me in the casino, I won't give 10%. I'll give 20%. I'll be hardcore. I'll give 30%, Lord. If you just make me win, you see. No, it's not according to what you don't have. Disability. A lot of people are on disability these days. You know, some are legit disability, but a lot of them are, oh, I have a mental disability. What's your mental disability? Uh, I, I, I have uh, PTSD. Oh, what, what was it? Uh, my dad spanked me as a child. What? That's PTSD? Whew. A lot of people do that. They, they file their claim. Oh, I want to file for disability. And then they get denied disability. And then they go seek their attorney. Their attorney writes a letter and boom, they get all these back payments. Look how rich I am. It's not even your money. You don't tithe, you don't give these offerings based on what you do not have. Don't take loans, go to, oh, I'm going to go to the, the, to the bank and apply for a loan for $10,000 and I'll give a portion to the Lord. Where's the sacrifice? There is no sacrifice. You see? It's of the first fruits, just like the Old Testament. It's of the first fruits. Not according to what one does not have. But it is accepted according to what one does have. It is proportional. No dollar amounts. It's not Paul mandating, hey, you give 100, you give 50, you give 20, you give 50 cents. You give. Who cares the dollar amount? But just for the mature of Corinth. Yes, you're abounding in verse 7 in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, diligence, your love for us. But then also see that you abound in this grace also giving. Giving and willingly. The Macedonian example, willingly. No mandates, willingly. You see? Not according to what you don't have, but in proportion to what you do have. In verse 13, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. You see? It's not to say, not to mandate. Not to mandate like, okay, you know, you give X amount, you give X amount, and you give X amount. No, there's no mandate whatsoever. It's in proportion to what you have and what you don't have. Not that anybody can be eased and you burdened. Remember, that, that was a problem in Thessalonica. Because this same exhortation was given to the church in Thessalonica, and some people took advantage of it. And so Paul had to write a letter in spite of the Spirit and says, hey, you don't work, you don't eat. You don't want to work? Okay, that's fine. That's your choice. Now, here's the response to that. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. You don't want to work? Okay. What's the Lord's response to that? You don't eat. You're going to starve. If you don't want to work, you're going to starve. You see? The Lord is reactionary, and His servants are give reactionary counsel. You see? His servants also give, you know, um, take into account the future, too. And we'll explain that in a little bit, but... Like this council, it was there, but when Corinth were babies, when they were 11, it 
It couldn't have been given because they were babies. The leaven had to be dealt with. And we, we move on to perfection. And now this teaching about giving, now of finances, now it's being taught. Now it's being given. And remember, we're six years in. And the Holy Spirit was already starting to do the work five years in. You see? And the Holy Spirit is guiding. It's all organic. 100% organic. And so he says in verse 14, But by inequality that now at this time, remember, they're no longer babies. The defunct, the eleven, all dealt with. That at this time your abundance may supply their lack. You see? Now, picture for a moment if the leaven had not been dealt with. Not to sound heretical in saying this, but picture for a moment if the leaven, if 1 Corinthians chapter 5 was never written about this separation, to separate from such a guy, to separate from such a sister, to separate from anybody named a brother. Say that was never given. And here we are, and there's leaven inside the church. A bunch of the church is still babies. Now, those in Chloe's household of the type of Chloe... They might say, but they're going to buy drugs. They're going to buy alcohol. They're going to go to the strippers. They're going to gamble. And they would have a valid case for that. That would be a valid argument. Except with that argument, oh, but I'm not going to give because they're going to buy drugs. I'm not going to give because he's going to go to the strippers. I'm not going to give because they're just going to get prostitutes. I'm not going to give because they're just going to gamble with it. That would be a valid argument, a valid concern. But something would be happening in their hearts. Their hearts would be getting harder because the mind, the heart would say, I'm not going to give. Which means that like verse 7, see that you abound in this grace also. All of a sudden, I can't abound in this grace. Yes, there's a valid argument of these people would spend the money on their sex, their drugs, their gambling, their prostitutes, their strippers. They would spend the money. And yes, that would be a valid case. But the hearts of those saints, not the ones that would be spending it on the carnal things, but the ones who would be giving, they would have a valid argument. But their hearts would be getting harder and harder and harder because they're not abounding in this grace. But I said, say, 1 Corinthians 5 wasn't written. 1 Corinthians 5 was written, which means the leaven is gone. The leaven is gone. Now, the ones who can give, they, they don't have that argument anymore. If the leaven were there, they would have a valid case, a valid argument. I'm not going to give because they're just going to buy their strippers. They're going to buy their prostitutes. They're going to go gambling. They're going to buy their drugs. They would have a valid argument. But now that the leaven is gone, look at what can happen inside of these hearts. The circumcision, you know? I can give the body taking care of the body, saints taking care of the saints. And yes, this person, you know, I'm going to help this person with groceries. I'm going to help this person with their rent. And they're not going to go to the strip club. They're not going to go to buy their crack. They're not going to go buy their meth. They're not going to go buy their prostitutes. They're not going to go buy their alcohol because the leaven's dealt with. Do you see how freeing this is? This separation is for the remnant because now these works of the spirit can be exercised. Now these works of the Spirit can be executed in terms of, let's be doers now. You see? 
It's, it's dangerous to exercise these things with leaven. It's dangerous to exercise these things as babies. Why? Because it messes up the house of God. You see? Oh, I'm going to go work in this ministry. I'm going to go work in this ministry. Meanwhile, you're having sex with everybody. You see? Oh, I'm going to go work with the prostitutes. I'm going to go work with the prostitutes. Meanwhile, you're a customer. You see? But with separation... Oh, I'm going to go work with the prostitutes. No, you're carnal. Oh, but the Lord is calling me. To, no, you're, the elders have this responsibility. The pastor has a responsibility. No, test the spirits. Oh, but the Lord is calling me this. Oh, by the way, hey, let's get, get drunk tonight. No, I'm, don't do that. All these warnings. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do it. They still persist. Okay, I'm sorry. This fellowship isn't for you. This fellowship isn't for you. So now that leaven is gone. And it's sad. I'm not just glossing over it. Oh, yeah, they're gone. They're gone. And, you know, they're going to burn in hell. No, we pray for them. And we want them to come back. We want them to, you know, learn and grow and mature. But by their own refusal, that's it can't happen. Biblically, it can't happen. Pastors, elders cannot permit it to happen. Biblically. And so now, it's sad of this separation. But look at the beauty for the remnant. Now the remnant can exercise these things. Now the remnant can abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, in your love for us. See that you abound in this grace also. They can abound in these works of the Spirit. Just like in Macedonia. There was trials and tribulations and persecutions. And yes, they had a super abundance of joy. And yes, they were poor, very poor, deep poverty. And yet they excelled in this gift. They excelled in this grace. Giving. Sacrificially. In this generosity. And it's genuine. So much so that they begged Paul. Paul, take, we beg you, Paul. Please take this. Take this, Paul. You see? Giving. A lot of pastors today, they like to teach about giving to babies. They like to teach about giving to the carnal. You see? What does the Bible say? What, how, what's the formula for Corinth? No, it's not for babies. It's not for the defunct. It's not for the, 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 the leaven. It's for the remnant. You see? And a lot of churches today, they don't understand. We have to look at the order of operations here. I don't want to sound like, you know, um, academic and saying that or like, you know, like it's a chemistry experiment. You know, we have to follow this order, you know, but there really is order. You know, God is a God of order. He's not a God of disorder. There really is an order behind these things. Godly. You see? And so we see here in verse 14, but by inequality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack. Remember, so we look at the Macedonian example. Now, remember, they're poor, but they're also rich. The church in Macedonia, they're not as poor. I mean, uh, Corinth was like the, 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 the hub of Roman, uh, their economy. You know, you look at certain provinces and cities within the Roman Empire, and there are certain provinces and cities which were financial hubs for Rome. Corinth was one of them. 
Just like, you know, you look at, I teach from the United States, but you look at the United States and there's certain financial hubs where the big cities are, New York, uh, Seattle, Chicago, Los Angeles, you know, certain Dallas, certain cities are financial hubs, most, a lot of port cities, but in some cases, you know, burgeoning, uh, 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 uh sectors of the economy, but the same thing. It's like that Haitian example, you know, Manhattan, say we, we live in Soho, very expensive to live in Soho in, in Manhattan, you know, and it'd be like Paul saying, hey, the, the Haitians are your example, you see, and so now in this example that, in this example of giving, they're also supplying our lack, not that they're supplying our lack financially, but they're supplying our lack of what? Faith, faith. You see, how beautiful is this? It's so beautiful for the church. Taking care of the church, the body, taking care of the body. You see, of course, living in this world in terms of finances and finances and abounding in this grace, but then also in faith, allowing our faith to grow. An increase of speech and, you know, no longer cussing and using all these bad words and all these things, but we're excelling and increasing in speech and knowledge, a gift of the Spirit. You see, all these things, the Holy Spirit, it's all organic. No mandate. And so, let's look at verse... 15, I mean, James chapter 2, verse 5 says that, you know, there's the poor, they're, uh, they're rich in faith. Rich in faith. In verse 15, as it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. A reference from Exodus 16. You see, God is providing for the whole. You see, Old Testament and New Testament, God is providing. Same. Old Testament, New. Why? God is the same. He never changes. He never changes. In verse 16, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. You see, God is at work. God is at work. This is what the Lord is doing in the heart of Titus, in the heart of Paul, in the heart of Corinth, in the heart of Macedonia, the Ecclesia. It's all organic. The Spirit is leading. For he, in verse 17, he not only accepted the exhortation, <clears throat> but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. How beautiful is this? It's time, you know, his own willingness, voluntarily. It's not, you know, Paul's, oh, look, we got this noted. We got this letter from Chloe. We got this letter from Chloe and we got to send messengers over there to Chloe. And you look, we're three years in and there's this, there, you know, we want them to grow even more. And, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And it's not Paul saying, hey, Titus, you go. It's Titus saying to Paul, Paul, send me. Send me. You see, in this joint ministry. You see how beautiful this is? Titus in submission to Paul. Paul, send me. I'm willing to go. Not by mandate. You see how the Lord is doing all these things? Organic. A lot of pastors today, they like to get into this, okay, I'm going to manufacture this, I'm going to choreograph this, and I'm going to do this. You know, you tithe 10%, and if you're rich, you tithe 20%, and 
all these things. And here you got to sign this, you know, fill out this application. If you want to be a church member, you have to fill out this five-page application. We want to know everything about you, your family, your husband, your wife, your daughter, your son. We want to know everything. We want to know about your commitment. You know, are you committed to, do you commit to tithe weekly this amount? Do you commit to attend church you know, all these days, you commit to do this, you commit, all these, it's a big application. Burn the application. Let the Holy Spirit establish your church membership. Let the Holy Spirit establish your church membership. Oh, but I want to know who, who do we, who, who do I commit to? Who do I commit to? You commit to the Lord. I've had these pastors have these conversations to me. You don't have church membership? No. You don't have application? No, I don't. Then how do you know who to pour into? Whoever the Lord brings. But who do you commit to? You commit to the Lord. You see? And you teach the word. People will hate you. You teach truth. People will hate you. But it's the Lord who divides. You see? It's the Lord who divides and separates the remnant. You see? And ultimately, in accordance to the in accordance to the spirit and accordance to the flesh, the alignment, though the converging of those two things, the wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest. It's all preparation for the harvest. So, I mean, if you're ba- a baby Christian, if you're a baby Christian, you've been a Christian for a week. Praise be to the Lord. If you're a baby Christian, you've been a Christian for five years, ten years. That's not good. Repent, grow, and mature in Christ. Now. If you're leaven, repent and come back to Christ. It's very dangerous to be leaven in light of the, not just in light of the, I was going to say in light of the prophecies, and I still want to say in light of the prophecies, but even if we were a last day's generation, it would still, it's still not good to be leaven. If you're leaven and you're ostracized biblically, it was handled in a godly manner, you Repent. You repent. And then you come back. And then we grow together. We mature together. On to perfection. You see? That's the formula. A lot of pastors, I've had this conversation with pastors. Oh, but you know, I just want to know who to invest into. Invest. Whoever the Lord brings, invest in. You see? And you teach truth. You see, the investment, it's a short-term investment. It's eternal, eternal consequences, but it's short-term. You know why? Because look at what's the or, organic the, the organic growth that's happening with the Corinthians. You see? It's short-term. It's short-term. It's just, it's, it, it's, it's just a, a vapor. It's just a vapor. This life. This, this growth that's happening when, you know... Instead of Paul having a mindset, oh man, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't have the, I, 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 the Lord is calling me over here and there's the Ephesians, there's the Galatians. We got this, uh, this, this issue, these things that need to be taught to Corinth. What do I do, Lord? What do I do, Lord? But you know what's so beautiful is Titus says, Paul, send me. Paul, I'll do it. Verse 17, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord and we, in verse 18, and we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. You see, all the churches know this fellow who accompanied Titus. 
Now, there's debate on who this particular person is, but I love that there's no name here. I love, love, love that there's no name here. You know why? Because Jesus Christ receives all the glory. This person's, this brother, his praise is in the gospel. I love it so much that his name is excluded. I love it because the Lord gets all the glory. You see? And not only that, he says in verse 19, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift. This is so beautiful because now the churches, as they themselves grow and mature, such as those in Macedonia, now they have this weightier capacity to serve the Lord. And the weightier capacity is what is a result of maturity maturity and growth in Christ because now they can say, hey, you go with Paul. This holy bubble of Paul, you you join that holy bubble. You see? Now, the, the with maturity comes weightier things. Weightier things. Now, because this person is joining this holy bubble, look at the influence, what happens inside of that holy bubble. The next generation, not just of righteousness, the next generation of leadership. You see? And verse 19, uh, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. You see? Not the first Corinthians 4 mind. When they were babies, when they were leaven in the fellowship, leaven in the church. Not the first Corinthians 4 mind. The second Corinthians 8 mind. You see? Now they're ready because they've uh, like the exhortation in Hebrews, lay aside those things which so easily ensnare you because the church in Corinth had done those things in obedience to the Lord, but by the exhortation of the vessel of the Lord, Paul, who's looking out for their souls and caring for their souls and yielding to him the vessel of the Lord. They do just that. And now their mind their mind is in a state of readiness to receive deeper things. See, these are things that couldn't have been taught in 1 Corinthians 3. They were saints, but they were babies. They were saints, but they were carnal. You see? And as a result of that carnality, these deeper, weightier matters, subject matter and things to do, it's dangerous for them to be taught it's dangerous for them to be done because they're babies but yet what do we see in the church today babies in ministry defunct in ministry and satan is laughing satan is laughing oh but we didn't know we didn't know the, the satan it was an attack of satan i see self-inflicted I say self-inflicted. Oh, but we didn't know. We didn't know. Why didn't you know? It's clearly laid out here in the Bible. Well, if it's not clear, then you need a teacher. You see? So many times, babies try to convict the mature. Oh, you need to be doing this. You need to be giving like this. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing this. And it's those who are mature who kind of have like they're being torn in their heart because it's like, I, I know the Bible says that, but you know what? I'm just not ready yet. I know the Bible says that, but I'm not at that state of maturity yet. You know what? That is maturity. That is wisdom. 
But when babies say, oh, yeah, you need to give like this. You need to look at Corinth is five years in before the spirit started to lead in this manner. And six years in when Paul wrote about this. You see, that's maturity. But when leaven speaks, when the babies speak, understand the baby is speaking. The leaven is speaking. And I say that to the remnant. Because in these last days, the remnant, that's the the danger of the remnant. The risk to the remnant. Because you love. And love is a beautiful thing. Love is the greatest gift. And you love, 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 love like crazy. And that is beautiful. But when a baby speaks, understand that's a baby. When the leaven speaks, understand that is leaven. And do not listen to them. Do not yield to their instruction. They are ill-equipped to instruct. They are not equipped to instruct, even though they attempt to instruct, and even though many follow them. Look at the path of destruction. You must look at the fruit. You must look at the fruit. Pastors who speak, oh yeah, let me teach you about marriage. They're on their third wife. Oh, I'm so sorry, pastor, that your first and second wife are dead. Oh, they're not dead. They're not. Then you're an adulterer, pastor, and you're teaching about marriage. You see, you need to repent, pastor. (gasps) How dare you correct the pastor? You're supposed to submit to me. You see, it's backwards. Pastor's going to teach about sexual purity and he's doing his sex clubs and strippers and prostitutes pornography doesn't work that way never ever ever yield submit yourself to the teaching of leaven or the baby never and you love them but understand that they're babies And you love them and you want them to grow and mature in Christ. And without maturity, if there's rejection of growing and maturing, then you need to make a choice. Separate. Separate. It pains me to say that. It hurts me to say that. Separate. But yet, Look at what can happen in the remnant when you can exercise and put into practice these deep, weightier spiritual matters for your own growth. Don't forget that before the Lord called Moses to Egypt, the Lord also had him in the wilderness for 40 years. There's a time by which a soul needs to grow and mature in Christ. The work needs to be done inside of the person first before the work can be done through the person. You see? And see, if I were to tell you, hey, next year, a year from today, you're going to be in a cage fight. And we're going to put you in the cage and, you know, in a year from now. So let's train. And you're like, okay, um, who is my opponent? Now, if I were to tell you your opponent is this one-year-old. It's laughable. I mean, you don't even have to train because it's a piece of cake. A year from now, it's a piece of cake. But if I were to tell you a year from now, you're going to be in the cage and you're going to fight this year. Who's my opponent? And this this big behemoth and he's just huge. His pinky is the size of your thighs, you know, and it's just this huge behemoth of a guy. That guy's a threat, which means you better train. You see? And when you see, I'm not, I, I speak spiritually. I don't say that in a carnal sense. I give a carnal example, but to give a spiritual, in, a, in spiritual terms. 
Satan doesn't really care about babies because babies aren't a threat to him. He can throw a wrench in any fellowship, in any home. He can throw a wrench and just mess things up. Why? Because pastors don't teach the formula. They don't follow the formula. You see? And look at families. Families are a mess. Look at ministries. Ministries are a mess. A guy, oh, I'm going to go witness. I'm going to go minister to these prostitutes. The Lord is calling me to these prostitutes. Next thing, the guy's the customer. Oh, I'm going to go minister to these the, these drug people. And, and, oh, yeah, the Lord is calling me. The next thing, the guy's a customer. Satan's a fisherman. No wisdom. No wisdom. We're called to be loving, yes. We're called to be loving and gracious and merciful as our Lord is. But we're not called to be stupid. We have to be wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. That's not to say that the Lord hates the prostitute, that the Lord hates the, the person in drugs. No, that there's love for them. But maybe that fight is for another person. Or maybe that fight is for you in the future. But you need to grow. You need to mature. You need to understand these weightier things. You cannot go to this fight as a baby. Satan's not afraid of babies. The same way, if I were to tell you you had to fight a, a one-year-old, not to, you know, not to be violent and say that you, you know, beat a kid, that's illegal. But <laughs> I'm just giving an example. You see, the, the kid isn't a threat to you because it's a piece of cake. What threat do you think First, the first Corinthians 3 bunch, what threat do you think that was to Satan? Not only that, think of the people of Corinth, not the church. Think of the culture of Corinth. You think like, wow, you know, this guy wants me. Say those in the house of Chloe, say what they would go to town and Chloe herself would say, look, you know, talking to the, talking to the, a prostitute, you know, look, you know, uh, maybe there was somebody in Chloe's household who was a prostitute in Corinth, you know, in accordance to the, uh, Diana, the goddess of Diana and the sex gods that the Corinthians would worship. Who, a female in Chloe's household who was very mature and moving on to perfection, going to a prostitute or maybe had an encounter with a prostitute and says, look, you know, I'm a Christian. God loves you. This isn't the life for you. You're a prostitute and I know you need money for your family and you're doing it for this and that, but you know, this life isn't for you. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And the prostitute is thinking, you Christians are so stupid. You Christians are so crazy. You say all these things, Chloe. You say all these things. You want me to go to this Bible study in Chloe's household? I just, you know, I'm a prostitute and I just had sex with this guy just two hours ago. And he's also a Christian. You see, the poor witness. Look at the poor witness that happens with the childish, with the defunct, with the leaven. Look at the poor witness. Look at the shame that is brought to the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean-spirited. How does that mean? It is true. How does that mean when it is true? You see? And truth hurts. I'm the first to admit truth hurts. But you and me together, we are the ones who yield to the word of God and yield to the spirit. You see? And move on to perfection so that these weightier matters can be applied in our lives. These deeper things can be applied in our lives as we, uh, people of the way, move on to perfection. You see? And so look what happens here in verse 
Um, 20. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us or find fault with us with this la- in this lavish gift, which is administered by us. You see, now people say, oh, it's for accountability. Paul had his uh, 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 accountability, but I don't really see accountability. I mean, there might be a little inkling of accountability, but when you look at, we've seen the hands and the feet of Paul through Acts, the book of Acts. We've seen the heart of Paul through his writings. I mean, thus far, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and in 2 Corinthians. If you've been listening for a while, man, like Galatians, all of it, all of Paul's writings, if you've been with us for a while. But if you're listening and you're kind of a new listener, if that's you, we've seen the hands and the feet and the heart and the mind of Paul. And there's already accountability there unto the Lord. You see? And there might be some, there might be an inkling of accountability when he says, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this, in this lavish gift which is administered by us. And I don't want to get into contract law or anything like this, but there's, or trusts, there's, a strictness of trust in legal framework of trust and commingling of funds. And what's so beautiful about when Paul mentions this, I don't really see an accountability. I see more of a freeing for Paul. That Paul is free to minister, free to pastor, free to teach, free to pour into in a blameless manner. You see? Wisdom. I see wisdom. A lot of pastors like to like have their hands in everything. The pastors are also the treasurers. The pastors like to be the star of the church, the star of the fellowship. Look how many likes I have. But very few, very few want to be committed to their calling. You know, like, you know, like, in, like in Acts, there was this need that arose in the church. Is that, oh, you know, we got these, the, there is this, uh, this need of the, the church. What did the apostles say? He says, no, we're, we're committed to the word. We're not going to leave. The Lord called us to the, we're committed to the word. The Lord called us here. We're not going to leave and serve in tables. You see? Imagine a pastor saying that today. Where somebody comes to a pastor and says, hey, pastor, we have this need in the church. And the pastor says, hey, I'm not going to do that. The Lord has called me to pastor and teach. I'm not going to do that. Imagine a pastor saying that today. But yet, that's what we see in the book of Acts. And the pastor said that the, the apostles say, choose from among you seven men. And not just seven warm bodies. These are special men. Choose from among you seven men. You know? And they have to have these gifts of the Spirit. That's what the Bible teaches. And so, this freedom that Paul desires, it's like, look... To be free to teach the word of God blameless. I don't want to have my hands in the treasury. I don't want to know, look, this guy gives a hundred bucks. This guy gives a thousand. This lady gives zero. I don't want to know. Who cares? Who cares? You see, remember, not by, uh, not by, uh, uh, command. Verse eight, I speak not by commandment. It's freely giving. A lot of times people say, oh, this is for, so Paul can be accountable. He's accountable to the Lord. He fears the Lord. But there's this freedom. A lot of pastors like to have their hands in everything. Their hands in everything. They like to be all, you know, it, it, you know, it, it, like all up in people's business. Oh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired in this ministry. I spent, you know, 
two hours in this guy's house. I spent two hours at this lady's house. I spent another two hours in this guy's house. I barely have time to eat a meal. I barely have time to do this. And I'm just spending time with all these people. Okay. How much time are you spending on your face before the Lord? Oh, I'm too tired for that. You see? How much time is being spent on your face before the Lord? Especially knowing that Paul commits, I'm not going to see you Corinthians anymore. I'm not going to see you. I'm not, I desire to come to you. I desire to speak. I want to see you so bad. But I purpose. I commit. I'm not coming to Corinth. I'm not going to see you guys. You see? Very, a large majority of pastors, they want to be the stars. Very few want to be the scum. You see? Very few desire to be the scum. In verse 21, it says, providing honorable things, providing honorable things, which translates in the Greek as considering in advance that which is virtuous, beautiful, and honorable. In order for this to happen, wisdom is required. Providing honorable things, he says. Now, it's to consider in advance those things which are virtuous and beautiful. So, for example, this counsel again, when Paul says in verse 10, I give counsel, and in this I give advice, or in this I give counsel, this counsel is beautiful, beautiful counsel about giving sacrificially. It's not for the babies, it's not for the remnant, because they're gone. Or it's not for the it's not for the babies, and it's not for the uh uh um uh, 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 leaven, it is specifically for the remnant specifically for the remnant and it is beautiful now understanding that it's for the remnant do you see what happened just you know three years in just three years in when paul says here in verse 21 providing honorable things now he himself considered in in advance those things which are virtuous praiseworthy honorable and so now three years later now he's teaching the church about giving using the macedonian example you see that's why I say wisdom is required. Just like with little Timothy. Little Timothy. You know, uh, uh, his mom and dad were Jew and Gentile. Uncircumcised. And Paul took Timmy under his wing. What was the first thing he did? He circumcised Timothy. Because Timothy, we're going to go in these towns and you're going to see, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to pour into you, and I'm going to teach you by example. You're going to see how I engage in the synagogue. And in the synagogue, if because you're not circumcised, if you stay uncircumcised, then they're going to put you with the Greeks and you won't be with me. But no, Timothy, I want you right here with me. I want you to learn. I'm going to pour into you and I'm going to teach you how to engage. I'm going to teach you how to fight. I'm going to teach you how to be a warrior. Old Testament and New Testament, and we're gonna, you know, Old Testament, Old Covenant and New Covenant, and we're gonna see how the Old Covenant, and you're gonna see me engage with these Judaizers. You're gonna see me engage with these people of the law, and I'm gonna use the law to win them to Christ. And you're gonna see exactly how I do that, Timothy. And you need to be, we need to be, we're gonna sit down and we're gonna sit shoulder to shoulder. And in order for that to happen, you have to be circumcised, Timothy. Otherwise, that wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to sit next to me. So we're going to circumcise you. Timmy gets circumcised and, you know, all of a sudden, it's like he can experience these things. He can sit next to Paul. Like, wow, you know, my mom and dad taught me this. My mom and dad taught me that. And wow, praise the Lord because they provided a nice foundation 
in terms of the next generation of righteousness. But now I'm under the tutelage of Paul. And it's not just the next generation of righteousness. It's the next generation of pastors. And oh my goodness, Paul is just like, he's going gangbusters in the synagogue. Look, I can't believe how Paul, he's just going. These teachers of the law, they bring up the law and Paul explains the law. And he references older law and he references pre-law. Oh my goodness, what in the world? Yeah, mom and dad, they laid a beautiful foundation of righteousness, but the Lord is using Paul and I submit to Paul because it's the next generation of pastoral leadership and this is where the Lord is calling me. You see, there's that foreknowledge. In verse 21, when he says providing honorable things, it's to consider in advance, to have that, to be forward-looking, to be forward-looking and, you know, understand that, yes, there's these truths, but these babies can't accept this truth. Now, the babies, it's not to say that the truth is not for the babies, it's to say the babies can't be babies anymore. We have to move on to perfection, and now this truth comes into play. And now as they mature, then boom, this other truth comes into play. You see, it's like arithmetic. You know, you don't teach multiplication in preschool. You don't teach calculus in third grade. You know, it, it's not to say that calculus isn't there. It's there. But that third grader needs to grow and matriculate and understand these weightier matters. The church today has it backwards, completely backwards. They teach all these things. Oh, give, give. We're going to pass around the offering plate to babies. They pass around the offering plate to the defunct. They pass around the offering plate to all these different people. And it's like, wait a second. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. You need to understand these deeper, weightier matters. These deeper, weightier matters. You need to understand and have a grasp on these things. You see? And so look what happens here in in verse 21, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of man. You see the witness. What does one's witness reveal? Does the witness reveal shame or does it reveal beauty in the Lord? You see? And how powerful is this when we have this understanding? In verse 22, in closing, and we have sent with them our brother whom we have often proved or examined as diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. You see, Paul's bubble reaps dividends. And I speak, I don't say that in a worldly sense, but Paul's bubble, it's getting brighter and brighter. And not just the bubble, the church is getting brighter and brighter. The saints are getting brighter and brighter. Macedonia is getting brighter and brighter. Corinth is getting brighter and brighter. Not just lights, super lights. And not just super lights, super duper lights, just like we studied last week. In verse 23, if anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. You see the closeness, the proximity of Titus, the heart of Titus to the heart of Paul. He is my partner or companion, partaker, associate, and fellow worker concerning you. It's You're the benefactors, Corinth. You're the, on the receiving end of this work of the Lord, Corinth. You are the field. These are the workers. We're the workers. You're the field. You see, we pour into you, Corinth, just like Moses and Joshua, you know, Moses and Joshua, or Joshua and Caleb. So you have Paul and Titus, you see. 
He, Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers or apostles of the churches, the glory of Christ. You see? So I love this because he's like, you know, regarding Titus, tell them he's with me. He's with me. But the other brethren, no, they're, for, they're, they're, they're messengers of the churches. But Titus, he, that's my guy. You see? Not to say that these messengers, the other, other messengers aren't, but, you know, it's to say like, there's something special about Titus, which you see this within this bubble, the next generation of pastors. You see, just like Pastor Titus. See? In verse 24, therefore, show them and before the church, show to them. You see, so now the Corinthians, let your light shine, Corinth. You see? Let your light shine, Corinth. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. And now that's the last verse. But you know what's interesting about this? To show to them. He says that the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 you know, you have the remnant of Corinth, but even the remnant of Corinth was under a little bit of chastisement. In verse 17, chapter 11, verse 17, 1 Corinthians, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. I do not applaud you. That's what he said to the, the remnant. Like, this isn't good. I'm giving you these instructions, but it's not good. I don't praise you in this because you're, you're, it's wrong what you're doing. And even in verse 22, at the end, he says, shall I praise you in this or shall I applaud you in this? I do not praise you. You see, a little chastisement. But what's so beautiful about this chastisement is what happens in the aftermath of chastisement. Because you remember in Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 12, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, turn there really quick, Hebrews 12, 11. And in Hebrews 12, 11, it is written, now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So Paul, in his chastisement of the Corinthians, like, I don't praise you in this. I don't praise you in this. They've been corrected. And now it's the peaceable fruit of righteousness. They've been trained by it. And now in closing 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Verse 24, when Paul says, therefore, show to them, let your light shine, Corinth. Show, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. You see, now Paul can boast about the Corinthians because they've been corrected. Look how beautiful these Corinthian churches, look how brightly they shine for the Lord. Who can boast about a carnal church? Where is boasting in a carnal church? Where is boasting with leaven in a church? It's just the opposite. There is no boasting. But with this separation of leaven, and even with this chastisement, this correction that comes upon Corinth to the remnant, look at now what can happen, this boasting. And look at these weightier things, these fruits of the Spirit, which can freely be exercised, freely be put into practice, especially on this topic of giving, you see, financial support. Remember, obedience is better than the fat of rams. Beautiful people of the way, God bless you. I love you.